How are you this evening? I am well. I'm well. Thank you for starting. Um, yeah, I'm just kind of holding up. Um, it's been a little harsh out there, you know, with the, some pretty crappy things going Got to, like, try to keep focused. Yeah. I mean, it is tough to... Wait, where am I? Where am I getting this echo? That was weird. Yeah, it is. It is tough to continue to operate um, when hell is like rapidly closing in on us. It seems like, mm-hmm. and some of the things I'll, I'll, I, people love to say this on on social media: normalize blank or stop normalizing blank. And urging people to not normalize things is not going to do anything because what gets normalized in our society, we have no control over it whatsoever. And I think where it comes to mass shootings you know i was uh what year did columbine happen was it 99 so i would have i would have been like 18 years old when that happened and i'm i'm 41 now i'm turning 42 this year Mm -hmm. and not only has it not gotten any better mass shootings are just a daily fact of american life there has been more mass shootings in america this year than there have been days in the year there's more than one mass shooting that happens on a daily basis and mass shootings at school are co- like it's just common and there's nothing anybody can do about that well not anybody there's nothing that people who are not politically connected can do about that um last year i want to say it was last year um my sister-in-law she's a uh she's a a, a teacher and partially an administrator at, at, at a public school and somebody came to her school with the intention of conduct of conducting a mass shooting luckily they were stopped before they actually got into the school but it's something that she had to deal with. It, there was a like, not only a possibility, but a very high probability that a mass shooter um, was going to get into her school and shoot indiscriminately at people. That's just the other part of people's lives. Where where was this? Uh, this is in just outside of Houston, Texas. Right. Wow. So the fact that the, the you know the, the shooting <sighs> in yeah the fact that that the shooting happened. Um, and we're, ra- we're we're rapidly getting details. Like if you if you were to watch, because I've been watching broadcast news and even cable news to get details about the shooting, but but also not only the failed police response, but the the fact that the shooting and the number of casualties that happened was facilitated by police that you wouldn't have gotten by watching broadcast and cable news. I've been getting it from exposing myself to the discourse nightmare that is Twitter. But there's a lot more, well, I mean, there's a lot more information that's coming out because on the one hand, like news is very comfortable um, avoiding challenging power, especially avoiding challenging state power to the extent that they'll run cover for the police. But people on social media who are able to get the facts and record videos of the parents who were desperately trying to get into the school to rescue their children and were blocked from doing so by police. Well, they don't give a fuck about state power. They care about their families and their neighborhoods. So yeah, it has been really bizarre to be more informed by what's happening on social media than being informed by traditional press outlets. I mean, that's really the only thing that I think Twitter is really good for anymore is just uh, breaking news. Like uh, there was stuff going on in Pakistan a uh, couple of days ago, and I was getting videos, and there's absolute media blackout um, in uh, Pakistani as well as uh, Western media. So there was only the only way to get that was through like on the ground video footage thing. But similarly with the with the shooting, similarly with the Buffalo shooting, uh, 
what was it last week? It feels I don't I can't even keep track anymore. It was two weeks ago Saturday. Yeah. Oh God. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's uh. It, it is. I mean, you know, when, when I was there and, and talking to people and interviewing people, um, one of the one of the things that um, a group of folks who are affiliated with Mad Dads. Uh, this is like a an organization um, made up of you know fathers who are anti-drugs, anti-gang violence. I, you know, they, they were saying, you know, make sure to put in your article. We were here before the fact, you know, we're not, we're not, uh, just around because the cameras are here. We were around doing work in this neighborhood long before the shooting happened, long before anybody got here and we're going to be around long afterwards. And it's like, that's, that is one of the problems is that these, because these have become a part of daily life, um, these mass shooting incidents, um, and because they get attention, um, like the, the necessities of the neighborhoods get attention solely due to media spectacle. Mm-hmm. The problem is when all the reporters leave, the cameras are turned off and everyone starts talking about the, ne- the newer and fresher tragedy as happened, uh, in what was the name of the city? Alvara. But, uh, yeah, it, it's, it's like the, the spotlight is shone on it for a second and then it disappears. And when that happens, they just go back to, a status quo, and in some cases even worse, because they don't have a timeline on the top supermarket reopening. And a lot of people have said, I don't ever want to go in there again. Um, yeah. Like people have said that they, you know, when the tops reopens and the the head office at tops has said like they, they do intend to reopen this store as soon as possible because they recognize that uh, the Jefferson Avenue neighborhood in the ascent of Buffalo is, a, is effectively a food desert. I mean, to the to the east there's the um uh was the the Kensington Expressway and that expressway was built for the purpose of ensnaring black people in uh it it was used to redline a neighborhood to make sure that like you know people with the means to buy homes couldn't do so outside of Mm -hmm. a certain area uh and it, it sharply divided black neighborhoods from white neighborhoods so because of that um you know, they didn't have access to uh, healthy and affordable food. And right. you can travel for more than a mile on foot in any direction except for east, again, because they're separated from the rest of the city by that expressway, mm-hmm. and not find a supermarket. Not even just like whether it's healthy and accessible and affordable, but there's just no supermarket. So uh, a problem here is that we except the president going to Buffalo, having a press conference with the mayor, the, um, the Senator Kirsten Gillibrand was there as well as, um, their local representative for the 26th district. And I forget his name off the top of my head, but you know, when I was talking to people in that neighborhood, they were like, these are people we've never seen before. Like even the Congressman has never, I've never seen him on my doorstep. I haven't seen him in a church. I haven't seen him in a community center. I've never seen him around. They don't come around here. So they, they come here, they make a bunch of promises, they say things are going to get better, they say things must get better, and they, they don't do anything. And they're saying, like, Mayor Byron Brown, you know, he is known in the neighborhood, but he doesn't, he's, they're like, he's not for us. Everybody I spoke to said the mayor is not for us. That he might be the longest serving mayor in Buffalo's history, and he's the first black mayor in Buffalo's history. But what does he actually do for black people in Buffalo? Jack shit. Absolutely nothing. So it, 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 has, it has been an exercise in frustration 
to see and hear people talking about these issues and in such a way that they're like, I can't believe American society is like this. How did we normalize this? And I'm just like, shut the fuck up. <laughs> you cannot be waking no. up every single day just in amazement at the state of the world like uh, like that 51st Dates movie, just completely forgetting everything that happened before that and act shocked like your, your institutions don't care about you. You cannot yeah. be that credulous. And it's like people have amnesia, you know, like every so often this happens. I mean, Sandy Hook happened like 10 years ago. Columbine happened, um, 20, you know, 12, two years 13 ago? years before that. I remember very, very clearly I was, you know, probably around the same age as you. Had. Um, and yeah, but it was it was horrific. And it was like it was probably I, the first of it, like major school shooting. But then since then, there have been so many. I saw this uh, tweet from one of the victims of Columbine, and he was saying that his son just started his first year of college. Wow. You know? <laughs> We're old. <laughs> um, I know. Okay. And, 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 and I, remember, I remember when the um, Columbine shooting happened. Uh, that was actually one of the reasons why The Matrix was delayed in theaters, hmm. was because yeah. of the depiction of gun violence. Right. That that it was important enough for Hollywood to shelve what would end up becoming one of the most uh like highly respected movie projects of the 20th century. Um and now it's just like oh yeah it's a daily fact of life and that's not something that any individual person has any power to change or had any role in creating. That's something that our institutions have ensured happened and the way that institutions respond to these things is to protect themselves. It is not to act in the interests of the classes of people that are most highly affected by it. It's basically to just grind us down until we are inured to these conditions. Well, yeah, I mean, I've had this, you know, I'm sure many of us have been talking about this stuff, but um, I am particularly, you know, what one of the things that I find really strange when this happens i mean it's 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 horrible it's tragic and you know of course it's 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 harrowing i cannot even and especially now when there's some of these shootings i mean like the buffalo shooting are being streamed online right and from the perspective of the killers and and then um and then also uh, that happened also with the um i think the christchurch shooting in new zealand yeah the christchurch shooting it was streamed live yeah. yeah And then um, these, I mean, on this guy in uh, Texas, uh, there were, there's so much footage of people trying to get in and the cops, you know, not letting people in and not going inside or saving the kids. And I mean, there's all this like raw footage and it's very harrowing. Um, and, you know, it's emotionally like very difficult to handle. Okay. Um, but I think that like a lot of the media and a lot of these sort of pundits and a lot of the, you know, like friggin' Chris Evans, you know, that guy, I don't even, I don't even watch his movies, but apparently he's famous and he had a tweet. It just said like fucking enough. And like, it got like a million likes or something. And I, and I was like, yeah. you know, this is somebody who has, uh, you know, who promotes violence in every other aspect of life. But, uh, one of the things that bothers me is how much American people, Americans are okay with violence when it comes to you know what they're what the, what the US does all over the world right funding and arming and bombing people and fun, arming you know like mujahideen and arming like the al nusra and now the neo nazis in ukraine and like that's fine um you know bombing children in afghanistan in yemen you know that's fine i mean it just feels to me like i don't know like this stuff is horrible when it happens in the us but 
I mean, why do Americans not make that connection that this is happening because the U.S. culture is steeped in violence? You know, it's not just it's, it's not just like gun control or something. It's not that simple. A lot of these people want to make it like, oh, we just need to enact gun control. I mean, it's it's like, OK, first of all, a lot of people already have guns. <laughs> what are you going to do about that? Um, yeah. The whole thing about buyback and all that. I mean, like, it's not going to work. Who's going to go around collecting guns from some of the most, uh, you know, uh, sort of ideologically strict, you know, gun owners, you know, and. And uh, like it's 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 about the culture of the United States and uh, to some extent Canada and other places, too, but especially the U.S., which is built on violence, steeped in violence and continues. They have a trillion dollar war budget. You know, they are the yeah. biggest arms seller to the entire planet. So it's like, how do you because how are you the country which sells billions and billions and billions of dollars in weapons all over the world? And yet you're surprised that there are these like. How how can you throw Foucault's boomerang and be surprised when it comes back to smack you in the head? This is this right. is actually something that Amy Césaire um, talked about in discourse on colonialism or discourse sur colonialisme, because you know he's a he's a primarily a French speaker, so I have to respect that um, regardless of whether I want to or not. And yeah, he you know he he said this exact same thing that you know there that Europe unleashed many Hitlers on Africa, and then they are absolutely shocked to find a Hitler that arises in Europe. And that's, I guess, a question that I, like a central question um, that I wanted to get at in this episode, which is uh, that there's, there's two distinct problems that I see as being central to America's culture of mass shootings. And that's that there's the 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 tacit admission that America's role is to either police the rest of the world or to arm the rest of the world so that they can police themselves ostensibly what they're actually doing is engaging in political destabilization but that's that's what the role has been is that's to ex- export yeah. violence and then when they when that violence returns home that is something to be shocked by. How can you put weapons in the hands of neo-Nazis and then argue with people about whether they are neo-Nazis, even though your publication was, you know, as recently as like six months ago saying these people are neo-Nazis. How can you do that? And then have any right to act shocked that hate crimes and mass shootings happen back home. We were, like we were just talking about this in late February, weren't you and I having these conversations in Feb- like early February, March, that this thing that they're doing, uh, you know, arming um, neo Nazis in Ukraine, uh, destabilizing any possibility of peace talks between Ukraine and Russia, like disrupting them, essentially using Rus- our Ukrainian lives as a pawn to try to humiliate Russia and. Uh, enact regime change to get rid of Putin. Were we not saying that when this violence returns home, people are going to be very shocked by it? And yet people are still shocked by it. Yeah, a lot of people have noticed that and they, we say it, but then like it never seems to get through to like the media, the, the you know, corporate media, mainstream media, or even to some of the some so, supposed leftist, you know, channels like Democracy Now! and stuff. They never seem to put that together for, I mean, maybe I missed something, but it, it never seems to connect that, hey, maybe all of the shit we do outside our borders 
um, also comes back and not just directly. I mean, sometimes it actually comes back like directly, right? So, for example, the uh, the, uh, the the brothers, uh, what the fuck, I don't remember their name, who blew up oh, the Boston the, the Boston race, yeah, uh, um, the uh, God, why do I forget their last uh, name? Yeah, now? I don't remember their name, but they Sarn- were, the Sarnayev brothers, the Sarnayev yes, brothers, yeah, they were Chechnyan, and they had originally been their parents, I think, were involved, uh, you know, were were part of the sort of U.S. backed rebels that were that were that was happening there in the 90s or whatever. And then the guy who blew up the uh, who shot people in the Pulse nightclub in Orlando, um, I think his family was also part of these sort of um, uh, CIA backed uh, rebels or whatever. And they had been moved back to the U.S. So some of these people are directly either either actual and in the in the U.K. too. Uh, one of the guys who shot up some concert there was actually somebody who had uh, worked with the U.S. to oust uh, Gaddafi in Libya. Right, and then mm-hmm. he went back home and shot a bunch of people in the concert. So what I'm saying is, some of these sometimes it's so direct that it's like impossible. Like you'd have to be really dense to not miss to to miss that connection. But other times, it's also just the culture of violence, the culture of you know might is right, the culture of um, uh, extreme you know callousness towards human life that is part of you know United States culture. They don't care about lives outside the country. They don't. They dehumanize. Well, they don't people. care about lives within the country. They, they just are very good at convincing themselves yeah. that they do. Yeah. But I'm saying that even, I mean, as horrible as these incidents are, at least you hear about them in the in the news. You don't even fucking yeah. hear about what they do to Yemeni people, to children in Afghanistan. Yeah. You don't even fucking hear about their names. Those are not real people. We hear these people's names. We hear about their family lives. We hear who else, you know, this teacher who died and her husband died the next day. It's horrible. I'm just mm. saying we don't we we dehumanize the people who are outside, you know. And mm. then of course that comes back and and is part of our culture, or part of the U.S. culture here. Um, I just want to encourage anybody who wants to come up and join us and make their make any comments to uh, click the little. Yeah, this topic. is uh you know this is not a show for Kieran and I to uh you know patter back and forth about our beliefs because I mean we are both members of the Communist Party of Canada. We're going to be uh, aligned on a lot of things. Um, so it's not, it's not our opportunity to talk to each other about things we already agree on. It's our opportunity to hear from you, the listeners about your feedback and your thoughts uh, on these matters. I think that's, that's what's most important right now. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think people do need to have these conversations. I mean, obviously it would be better to have, for people to have them in person. And I, I, uh, encourage people to, you know, join some kind of organization in your area that is working towards really making fundamental change happen, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and to me, that's socialism. That's, that's the only thing because, you know, when we're, when, because right now what's happening is, um, the media, for example, which, you know, is a huge part of people's lives, um, is, is, is actually keeping people dumb. They're, it's keeping people stupid and people are not stupid. And I think that's why people don't trust the media. People don't trust these institutions because we know we're being lied to. Did you, know? you see, and then, did you see Chris Hayes today? Oh, God. <laughs> Did you see that? Oh, my God. Yeah, yeah. Okay. He was something like, oh, my God, what's happening? How is this <sighs> happening? No, no, no. It was worse than – it was actually worse than that. It, it actually – it made me – there are many things that make me angry as a journalist, but the thing that angers me the most is when other journalists not only say that they are surprised by a thing that police or governments do, but that they refuse to believe people and government or police and governments have done things. They did this for the military when it came to Afghanistan and Iraq. They, I, I don't know, like this whole idea that like 
policing as an institution is this honorable and noble profession that can be fixed if only we weed out the bad actors. Mm. There, the, you know, the time for that kind of credulity has long since passed. It passed in the 1950s. We're now in 2020. There is absolutely no excuse for you, as somebody who has not only been educated in the uh, the the profession of journalism. I mean, that's what Chris Hayes went to school for, but also has been working as a professional journalist for decades. If if that's where you are in your journey as a member of the fourth estate, quit your fucking job and give your money to people that can do it better than you can. Because you're you're just you're getting in the way. You know what I mean? Yeah. No, I mean he's just yeah he's just such a tool. Like I try not to pay attention to him, but just yeah. you know, like a friend of mine said it. He's like a a newborn baby deer just in experiencing the world for the first time every day that yeah. he wakes up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Somebody said something like a a cellular a cell is uh, formed and then like it grows up to be Chris Hayes by the evening and then it's destroyed <laughs> by night and it starts again <laughs> next morning. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, the, the the thing is, like, there are people who are, I think, just now realizing that the policing institution, the institution of policing in the U.S. especially, but in general, all these bourgeois states, it is rotten to the core. You know, these, these cops uh, in Texas, you know, not only did they not go in for several, like, like over an hour, I'm seeing reports. And apparently this is something that's happened. I did not know this is also what happened in Columbine. Apparently they waited like four hours uh, to go in and, 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 and at least one person completely died. He was alive. He was shot, but he was alive. And then by the time they actually got to him uh, and it, there was no reason, there's a big thread on uh, Twitter. I, I shared yeah. it about that. And, um, and I didn't know that about Columbine. And then they tried to cover it up and they were really bad at covering it up too. But yeah. um, anyway, I mean, and now with this one, with today's, uh, yesterday's uh, or day before shooting, um, they not only did not go inside the school while they could hear gunshots, they stopped the parents. They were tasing and beating up the parents who were screaming. Trying to get into the school to save they their could, kids. And their After the very them. same police had gone into the school to rescue the their own children. I was going to say the co- some of the cops went in and got their own kids out. And did not go and stop the shooter. So here, here's what Chris Hayes said. He said, please, 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 in all caps, tell me the local police didn't set up a cordon outside the school for 40 minutes while the gunman was murdering children. I refuse to believe this is what happened. I think we're missing something. To which case, again, I say, quit your fucking job and give your money to people who can do your job better than you can. Because you're, you're, you're just getting in the way. How is this, imagine, how is imagine, imagine being an MSNBC host for this many years and on, like just waking up today to discover cops. Nike, he, I mean, according to the, the wording of that tweet, he hasn't discovered cops lie. He says he refuses to believe cops lie. Something has to be missing. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's completely ridiculous. Like, dude, like. Where are you? Where do you live? I mean, th- these people are completely out of touch. These people are completely out of touch. I mean, you see, you, you know, all of these journalists, they're having, they're having, like, they're, they're having, like, aneurysms, just even, like, dealing with it, because they just, yeah. they cannot handle, you know, actually having their, their worldviews challenged. Um, and, you know, I mean, this is something that they cannot ignore. You know, they ignore the, all the shit that their country does outside. We, you know, people outside, we don't matter. You know, we don't even give a, we don't even get a fucking, uh, 
mention in the news, right? Like, uh, oh, yeah, more people. Sorry, we bombed, a, we bombed a school in Pakistan. Oops, sorry about that. Oops, <laughs> just a sorry mistake, you know. At most, yeah. we might get that. But, like, th- no names are shared about who actually was killed, what their family's life was like. You know, just, these are not real people. But, like, I mean, and, and you can't, they can't ignore the stuff that all goes on in their own borders. And it's just, like, it's sickening all around. It's just thing. Yeah. Um, uh, and, and by the way, uh, and now that we've had a breaking conversation, I'm 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 no longer asking. I'm just going to be bullying people into joining the caller queue, right? <laughs> because again, as much as I love talking to Karen, um, I can talk to Karen anytime. We talk all the Karen, time. <laughs> yeah, Karen's my friend. I can pick up the phone and call her whenever. Yeah. If I want to go see Karen, I can get my car and drive to go see Karen. However. I don't get to hear from all of you unless we do this show. And the reason that we do the show is so that we can hear your thoughts on these matters and work through them together. So yeah, get on the fucking call with you. We're not going to, we're not going to bite. <laughs> <laughs> all right, Melanie, what's up? Thank, thank you for allowing me to bully you into calling in. <laughs> uh, you can unmute by tapping the microphone button on the lower right-hand corner of the screen. It looks like a microphone. I wanted to hear you bully first. You know, ah. <laughs> I needed I needed the bully push, but no, I, I love all the points you're making. But the one thing that's been driving me absolutely insane the last few days is like, I'm sorry, how many of you in the media just spent the last three months baying for the blood of Russian orgs, clamoring mm-hmm. for nuclear annihilation, and you're surprised when violence erupts here? Child tax credit expires, COVID's still going on, kids see what you spend money on increased military budgets, increased police budgets, nothing about climate change. And you're shocked that they're nihilistic and going and buying guns and killing children. And, 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 and on top of that, they see that what you prioritize is violence. Like the thing that gets your attention and the thing that, that motivates you in life is to see violence done on your enemies. How can you do that? 24 hours a day on broadcast news and in social media, public discourse and all that. Put the Ukraine flag in your profile. Get mad at people who aren't on board with that and call them a bunch of Russian bots, basically doubting their mm-hmm. loyalty to not only to America, but to the people around them and their compassion to the rest of the world if they are not calling for violence. like How, how can, then can you be surprised? Exactly. I mean, it's been a long time, but when I was in college, I worked at a boys and girls club predominantly black and Latin American neighborhood. The number one threat in that neighborhood would be the cops trying to come in and arrest the kids on some vague suspicion. And I'd be like, yeah, no, you can't come in or you don't have a warrant. Mm. And they would get really mad. And I'm like, yeah, you don't have a warrant. Sorry, you got to go. I was like, number one thing I had to worry about was the cops. So I'm like, and all we've done is since Columbine is active shooter drills and more cops in schools. And all that's done is put more kids in the juvenile facilities. Remember more when, kids in the prison. Remember when on the or in the aftermath of the January six, um, uh, the mega flash mob. Um, there was that black police officer whose name I don't remember, and I refuse to. Uh, that there was a picture taken of him, like putting his hand up to stop the mob from getting farther into the the mm-hmm. the recesses of our hallowed halls of democracy. And mm-hmm. they made him out to be this national hero and, and, and the whole like, you know, defund the police very quickly pivoted to, no, no, we should fund the, remember that 
Yep. And I remember that day saying, the moment you do this, you have just given the police carte blanche to do whatever the fuck they want because now they're heroes again. After, you know, two solid years, sorry, after a solid year in which we understood that police are the problem, now you've just given them not only your mea culpa, but you've basically told them, yeah, what are, like no matter how shitty you treat us, no matter how many people you kill, no matter how many people you brutalize, we deeply believe in you as an institution. And yeah. what they do with this inch of rope, whenever they get it, is they use it to hang the rest of us. Oh, yeah. I texted my brother because there was this story going around some guy on Twitter claiming that, you know, he was in Uvald and that he just identified the body of his nephew and that he'd been threatened by Greg Abbott or like officials representing Greg Abbott or some nonsense. And one of the first replies I saw was a liberal <laughs> telling him to go to the FBI. <laughs> <laughs> just like, Jesus Christ! I was like, first of all, this isn't even true. But I'm second of all, I'm like, you want him to go to the bigger cops? How? Is that? Yeah, you want him to tell the cops on the cops? That? Yeah, let's see how that works out. You know, like I and, can't, I can't. And, and this idea that people talk about, like the state should have a monopoly on violence. Again, how the how has that worked out for us so far? Well, that's why all the gun control talk drives me insane i'm like i'm sorry cops are massive domestic abusers suicides killing their spouses so unless you're going to talk yeah. about the military and the cops no longer having any guns either any talk of gun control is absolutely pointless as far as i'm concerned because yeah. it's it's yeah. really just a matter of like americans don't have a problem with violence they have a problem with who is able to wield control on violence and that that's to me i think the the bigger issue um, I think they they basically just care about, especially when it when it comes to like liberals and Democrats, yeah. they they tend to only care about propriety. So for them, it's like, oh, have you gone through the proper procedures to be a mass shooter? You know what I mean? Like, yeah. if you've yeah. gone through the proper procedures, that's fine. Uh, but if you're just kind of like randomly doing it, that's not fine. Like to them, it's just about propriety. It's about you know decorum. You know that's that stuff, and they don't actually give a shit about the underlying issue. Yeah. Um, and also, what you brought up the uh, what is it the uh, the the lock and the drills and stuff you know one of the issues one of the things that i saw that's really creeped me out i mean i hadn't thought of it and that i saw it and that's all i can think about now is how this guy was an you know, 18 year old uh, shooter uh, grew up and went to that school and mm -hmm. those drills mm -hmm. you know, he knew where to find the children because he was trained how to hide and where and to hide this is shooters. something that was like when they started introducing active shooter drills into schools and this was in this was after um, Sandy Hook was when they got widespread because they had been doing them to a limited extent um, in some states after Columbine. But where they began to become widespread was after Sandy Hook. Mm -hmm. And uh, very smart advocates who had a lot of foresight were the first to say, all right, but you're training the next generation of school shooters as to how to more efficiently shoot up a school because you're giving them all your security procedures. Well, that's the thing. I think oh, was it was Jason Whitlock had this ridiculous tweet about like, oh, this is all about cultural rot. I'm like, cultural rot? Was it in the room with Charles Whitman in 1966? <laughs> I was yeah. like, what? I was like, first, I was like, and what were we doing in the 60s? Oh, right. We were in Vietnam, Cambodia, and, you know, Korea. Like, I was like, there's a connection between our overseas militarism and the violence here. And I am so tired of people not making that connection. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I appreciate the comment. Um, I do want to make sure that we yeah, speak to the, the other callers, people. but 
Yeah, but I, I really appreciate you coming up, coming up and saying these things because it, thank it's, you, Melanie. No, thank it's, you. It's reminding me that I'm still saying thanks, Melanie. <laughs> You're welcome. Thank you, guys. Good to hear Bye. from you. Thanks. All right, um, uh, Shelly, and also I think I saw Davis hop up to the caller queue and then maybe came back down. I, I'm going to single you out, Davis, and say come back on the caller queue, or I will find you. Uh, what's up? What's up, Shelly? Hi, Q. Hi, Karen. How are you guys? Good. Good. Good, good to hear from you. Yeah, good to hear from you guys. Okay, um, I have a policy proposal that will solve uh, mass shootings. I think that we should spend $40 billion to arm teachers. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Oh, God. Uh, um, hmm. Well, I th- as, long as, as long as their state houses are legitimate targets, I, I, I can't disagree with you. Yeah right. As, yeah, yeah, as long as yes, as long as their state congressional houses um, are not like written off the list of uh, targets that they are mm-hmm. able to. Yeah, no, I, I think yeah. you're right. I, I, you got a good idea here. Yeah, I, I imagine that. I mean, we could take that forty billion and you know fund mental schools. health uh, mental things, health. fund schools, yeah. fund community, you know, supports and and healthcare and housing and you know all that kind of stuff. <laughs> There's Ew, make sure that people yeah, don't that, lack for. That sounds- helpful <laughs> yeah, yeah. sounds actually pretty so- yeah. yeah sounds pretty socialist to me i don't really know about yeah. all that what, what is that yeah. commie oh yeah it is commie. yeah oh man <laughs> that's that's china i think um so i and then i i, I just kind of wanted to ask you guys like a quick question about and, and i am being serious i'm not trying to be funny what i'm kind of curious about is where where are all these uh the three percenters the proud boys and the oath keepers whenever school shootings are happening mm. oh i don't know Mm. You know? out, yeah. out, out, out practicing in the woods i don't know <laughs> yeah, yeah defending freedom and and liberty and um family values out in the woods yeah um but i was just kind of wanting just kind of wanting to see if you guys had any like comments about that yeah. or, or to like comment on how those groups are actually reactionary and the reason why they should not be looked at as a legitimate form of community defense and what types of well they never have been defense all of, right right but yeah. i just kind of want yeah. Well, here's yeah, the thing: is that like, much than I am. oh, sh- get out of here. Um, I will not accept that. Th- there's a, I don't know. Uh, this is also why I, I, this is also partially the reason I got kicked off of Twitter when I said that it is actually incumbent on people who um, know better to read the manifestos of these mass shooters, so that they can better yeah, understand, totally better understand fascism, how to spot it, and when to intervene. And if you, um, I noticed that like uh, a, a common trend in press is to say, we did blank, we consumed blank content, so you don't have to. And it sounds snarky and funny, but when you think about it, it's actually really fucking dangerous because what you've done is you've abdicated the responsibility of knowing and advocating for yourself, i.e. no investigation, no right to speak. Well, you've outsourced that inve- that obligation to investigate to somebody that may not have your own best interests at heart. So uh, the spat that I got in with somebody on Twitter was when I said, no, like, we're, you know, the horse is out of the barn on this one. You can't just tell people, don't spread these manifestos. That does fucking nothing. Because then what you do is you um, let the fascists monopolize the conversation on identifying and analyzing fascism. And you let them advocate for more fascism. It's like, well, yeah, actually, this is a very sensible way to think because this, that, and the third reason. And because there aren't people 
who are adept at combating it, both in rhetoric and in action, then the only people that are responsible for combating it are these so-called experts, many of which are spook organizations funded by the National Endowment for Democracy. And I'm going to say Bellingcat because they are fucking funded by the National Endowment for Democracy. Um, and, you know, liberal journalists that that don't have an interest in necessarily ending this problem because their career partially depends on these outrageous incidents happening. That's how they stay in business. And then performing incredulousness and wonderment and outrage at the state of our society. This is a cert, like this is the snake eating its own ass. And right. the only the, the only intervention that can be made is for us to step in and do something for ourselves. Yeah, like all these all these journalists like all the fucking time. It's like they're they're goldfish. It's like one swim around the bowl and they've totally forgotten everything that's happened and there's yeah. no historical memory about anything and like actually putting two and two together or anything. But um just my my question I'll hop off is um so can you guys because watching that video of like all the parents like kind of trying to bum rush the police and stuff like that is is there any type of like viable um sort of like community defense program like kind of in a sense of like the black panthers that there are legitimate that could help in these situations there are socialist gun clubs around the united states uh in canada and I'm pretty sure you live in the U.S. just from yes. your accent. Uh, okay, yeah, got it. Um, there, there are uh, socialist um, gun clubs and self-defense organizations, and I highly encourage people. If you, if there isn't one around, then start one. Uh, you all have way more access to guns than we do, and you have, I think, more. Um, comprehensive means of creating community self-defense organizations than exists in a lot of other sort of bourgeois quote-unquote democracies uh so yeah they they are around um and i would say like you know look look up in your area if the whether a local communist party chapter or an individual revolutionary organization has these and if not i'm like i'm serious as a fucking heart attack when i say this find some comrades in your like you can't just let go of doing this online because I do not ever suggest the process of organizing happen online. Maybe perhaps mm -hmm. signal boosting, promoting, but not organizing. Um, you got to talk to people in person, even if you get two or three people together to go to the gun range on the weekends and train. That's a good start. Yeah. yeah I, think I was just wondering if you, if you guys would think that like some type of um, like common defense or like local defense organization that people might paint as something like the Proud Boys, if, if, some, if trying to organize something like that would actually be detrimental. No, I mean, they're going to say what they say about, like, I'm not sure where you fall on the political spectrum, but, no. okay, cool. All right, I'm talking to a comrade. Uh, you know, we're dealing with over 100 years of anti-communism. So it really doesn't matter what you do. They're going to say terrible things about you anyway. Uh, and you just have to accept that. Um, yeah. So, you know, are, are they? Are you probably? Are, are you going to end up on a fade radar? A fucking course you are. Uh, are people going to think that you're adding to the problem and that you're enriching the NRA? Yes, absolutely. Should you do it anyway? Yeah, yeah. Because so, uh, this thing... this idea of like sitting around and waiting for um, bourgeois society to come to our defense. Yeah, it, it's it's waiting for Superman. Listen, I, I don't like to necessarily go too in-depth. I think these are conversations that need to be had offline. Um, but 
I, I, I value the question and I think a lot of people have such questions. So I do think, I think it's a good idea to at least point people in the right direction. The thing is that you guys in the U.S., um, you know, in, depending on which state you're in, because the laws are different per state. Um, for example, in Texas, I believe it's open carry, you know. Arkansas whatever. is also open carry. Um, yeah. So, but like in New York, it's a lot less, uh, it's a lot more strict, right? Um, but, um, what I'm saying is that I oh, there's some background noise too. Oh, sorry about that. Um, but uh, I think that I, I agree with Q's uh, suggestion. Look up uh, like Socialist Rifles. I think they're called SRA, Socialist Rifle Association. Um, and then there's other places like uh, like the your local communist uh, Marxist uh, party or organization might have um, an, you know a segment or whatever. Um, they might not. I mean, a lot of these groups are not uh, not looking in that direction. A lot of them are actually very um, you know uh, anti gun. Have a sort of a liberal sort of understanding of that now and. and so did I uh, at one point. But the thing is that, uh, especially if you're in the U.S., I, I don't think this is necessarily applies to people in Canada or outside, but especially in the U.S., you got to use that Second Amendment stuff, man, because, man, yeah. everybody else is armed. Everybody else is going to be there. And you can't, like, people <laughs> sit around these fucking liberals, you know, waiting for like, they just, they just outsource their violence to the state. You know, they just want the cops mm-hmm. to take care of it. They just want the, you know what I mean? Like, so, and if you know that the cops are not on your side, especially if you're, you know, black or brown or, or immigrant or whatever, uh, but even for everybody, um, they're not on your side. They're not going to help you. In fact, they might actually, you know, for many people, they might actually be the cause of the, 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 the their murder. Um, so what I'm saying is that, no, you, you, you guys, I say, you know, go for it, get, get yourself trained, make sure you do it right. Because it's not just like a matter of, it's not just like a tool, like a, you know, yeah, it's not, it's not point and click. Yeah. Yeah. You, you got to know what you're doing and you got to learn that. And you got to, if you can go take some classes, great. If not, you find people who are more experienced than you and learn. And you know what? I actually find that a lot of people who are into, um, depending on your situation, you might be able to get some resources from people you might not be politically aligned with you know i was just gonna say you know who i can actually have very like lengthy and uh you know edifying conversations with on these matters right wingers yeah like i i have had way more constructive conversations with right wingers about the right to self-defense um and about the ability to defend yourself from state i i've had way more productive conversations with right wingers than uh progress marxist leninists they they fucking get it um but like progressive and the dsa types it takes a lot of work um but right right wingers get this instinctively and that's that like they even though they are on the side of the states um they understand i think at some level the fundamental contradiction between the state and the individual mm-hmm. and the state and the collective they understand that so that's why at various fits and starts they are constantly arming themselves and I think it, it becomes very difficult for liberals to understand this because we're raised to believe that there are people in charge who know better and they get to be in charge because of their qualifications and their experience. And when you understand that nobody who is in charge is qualified to be there more than the average person, the sooner you come to grips with the fact that we're on our own. Yeah, guys, excellent points. Thank you so much for taking my call. Thank you. Thank you, Shelley. Thank you. Yeah. Um, you know, I just think that with this uh, kind of discussion, it's really like 
you know, it, it depends on the situation. I don't want to blanket, like, uh, say, make, make blanket statements because I think that's easy to, but I think there are, for example, there are times when, um, on, if you focus on specific topics, you can have a conversation about, you know, uh, survival tactics, uh, self-defense, things like that. With people, mm-hmm. you don't have to go and sit there. They don't have to be your best friends. You don't have to invite them to your gay wedding. You know what I mean? Like, it's fine. Mm-hmm. Just talk to people about what you have in common with them. And a lot of people are actually very open to having these discussions because they genuinely believe uh, in uh, self-defense and autonomy and things like that. I was just, uh, you know, I was just actually commenting on somebody's uh, tweet earlier and she was saying something like, I, you know, she, she pointed out that the cops were basically laughing at this uh, incident where they were like, and, and the Fox News showed it and then they cut it out later. And I was like, uh, and then she said something like, well, I back the blue, but I also don't believe the government should, uh, I, I believe in self-defense against the government because they can take away your rights. And I was yeah. like, what blue do you back? They are the government. They're the ones yeah. who come and take your rights. What are you what are you backing? How do you say you back the blue and you're anti-government? Like, what does that mean? So, I mean, I'm just saying that there are there are contradictions in these people and we can sometimes have, co- you know, productive conversations, even with right wingers, as long as, you know, I mean, depends on the right winger and all that, depending on the situation. But there are times when you might be able to do that. So just keep an open mind. Yeah, no, I got that. And also I saw T Swifty for Life made a few good points in the chat, um, you know, just about uh, how many guns Americans owned and the division between um, like the the fundamental divisions between those who own guns and those who don't and and ensure that organizations like the NRA will continue to exist. You know, and and, and like I remember a couple of years ago when – I, don't, I forget if it was last year or the year before. Everything's running together in my head. Um, when the NRA was talking about declaring bankruptcy, um, and I was like, "Why are people happy about this? All bankruptcy means is that you're reorganizing. You're you're doing a corporate reorganization such that you can discharge your debt but still remain in existence." Uh, so I'm like, when did people ever think that the NRA was just going to disappear? It's not. None of these problems are going to go away on their own. It's up to us, you know, as a collective, uh, to make them go away. And also, like, I, I don't. You know, I don't think that libertarians, how am I put this? Libertarians may not in principle support the state. I have yet to meet a libertarian that did not at some point fall along the lines of state propaganda uh, when push comes to shove. So, yeah, I completely get that. And I do, you know, I do have, well, I shouldn't say I have any friends who are libertarians because I think it's something that you outgrow in your 30s if you're like a normal functioning human being. But um, yeah, I have had conversations with libertarians and with like conservatives and others that understand that like, yeah, you, you really should, you have a responsibility, if not an obligation to learn how to defend yourself. Yeah. I mean, it's just a basic thing. I don't understand why liberals are so like, I mean, well, I, I do. They, they just outsource yeah. it to the state. They want to, like, yeah. they're, they're clean and pure. They don't do anything. You know, they don't. Yeah. yeah the, it's, it's, the, it's laundering lo- the, the, the icky, the icky violence of, uh, you know, oppressing minorities and, um, you know, I- I enforcing imperial hegemony. If you can launder it through the state, then you don't have to claim any personal responsibility for it. Exactly. So, I was going to say, like, yeah, yeah, you do understand that, Karen. Get out of here. <laughs> Arena, what's up? What, what, what's your thoughts? What you got for us? Dobry vecher, Tavarsht. Privet. Uh, I just just wanted to say, you know, this the story the story smelled right from the get go. The the shooter was supposedly all armored up. Uh-huh. Does no one read novels? Does does no one? I, I am not a cop. 
if the shooter is all armored up, then you shoot him in the leg, you shoot him in the ankle, you shoot him in the arm, you shoot him in the head. Not not Hello. just that, not just that, but I mean, it, here's the other thing too. Um, so plate armor is not indestructible. What it does is absorb the impact of bullets, right. but it doesn't. It it does. It's not indefinite. So the the more you're, and that's why the plates are replaceable. You can pull them out of the vest and replace them with other ones, and that's because. Once you've been hit one time, it compromises the integrity of that plate. So if you come under, if you come under continuous fire, you, I mean, first of all, it fucking hurts to get hit by a bullet, even when you are wearing armor. Um, just the sheer force of the bullet striking the plate can knock you off your feet, if not temporarily incapacitate you. If you come under continuous fire, at some point, the bullets are going to penetrate. Um, either that or your ability to withstand the pain of being like coming under a hail of bullets is going to be compromised. And also not every bullet, even though they're aiming for center mass, which is like you're, you know, you're trained as a police officer and you're trained in the military to aim for center mass. That's because it is, it is actually difficult to place a headshot, especially if the target is moving, but your center of mass while you are moving it tends to remain in a fairly similar place. Even if you are ducking, weaving, and so forth, when you aim for center mass, you're going to strike something. So uh, the idea that they couldn't go in because he was wearing body armor is absolute bullshit. When you fire at somebody who is... Like, the reason why uh, flag-draped coffins come back home in foreign adventures is because even when these soldiers are wearing plate armor, they can still die. Yes, exactly. I, yeah, I, you know, I, I just knew that the, the story smelled right from the get go. They, they would have instantly announced if any cops had been wounded or killed. No cops were wounded or killed. What? And nineteen, you know, twenty-one people are dead, but none of them are cops. I mean, it. The whole thing just smelled, and I, I you know, I saw the initial reports, kind of. Co- just couldn't pay attention anymore. And then when I started paying attention again today, the whole story has fallen apart. Surprise, surprise. It's, it's, yeah, cops lie. What? A, and Chris Hayes is amazed. It's, I'm, I don't know. It's, it's just stunning. It really is stunning that, that people don't get any of this. Uh, there's a, there's a very good attorney that I follow on, on Twitter, whose name is uh, Greg Doucette. And he's a conservative kind of a guy he lives in North Carolina. And he has several threads that run through his Twitter feed that have to do with cops. And he's had to divide them up because of, there are so many things about cops that are horrible. So he, ha- he has a thread about uh, cops assaulting their family members, wives, and, wives and children, that sort of thing. And, when he gets updates about it, he'll update the thread and you can go back and read these things. And they, mm-hmm. it just goes on forever. He has a thread about uh, cops, cops assaulting um, people that are supposed to be in care of. Protecting. You know? Yeah. Like, yeah. People yeah. that they fought or, in custody and <laughs> yeah, or people somebody, like sexual yeah, assault survivors. Woman, yeah. Yeah. Woman's handcuffed in the back seat and she gets, gets molested by the cop who's supposedly taking her to jail. You know, on and on and on and on and on. Not, not, not even to, you know, they're like I say, they're almost infinite categories of these things beyond cops shooting people who are unarmed. And 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 again, I I just I just don't, how can, how can anybody not be aware of this in this day and age of I think, video I cameras, think people, et cetera. I, 
I think people, I mean, the incredulousness you see uh, is not people aren't aware. They are. I think people are fully aware. Like, there's no way you could have lived through 2020 and not come away with, wow, there's a really big fucking problem with police. It's not that. It's that they want to believe in the honesty and goodness of an institution that was never that. They want to believe what exactly. they see on they want to believe what they see on TV. They want to believe I can't life. even I cannot yeah. even watch a cop show anymore. And I oh, yeah. I have I have some older ones that I that I really liked like I don't know NYPD Blue to name one. Yeah. Uh Hill Street Blues um Law and Order. Yeah. You know no, Dick, yeah, Dick Wolf well, Dick Wolf and his yeah. consequences to society, <laughs> you know. Yeah, I ca- I can't watch Law and Order anymore. It's just yeah. no, no. And the Chicago shows i think wednesday night on nbc is chicago night chicago yeah. cops no 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 not watching any show about chicago police sorry yeah so, i mean they, you yeah, know I, when are they going to have a sh- show about chicago police that touches on the fact that they had a fucking um an actual black site black in the city? site bingo yeah, yeah. you know yeah, so it's, like it's it's like people do people are aware but they are they're much like conservatives do is They'll rem- they'll reminisce for a time that never actually existed. A lot of conservatives talk about like how much they want things to go back to the way they were in the 1950s, and this like you know this this uh, geography they write about the time period. There were a lot of things for conservatives to be upset about during that time period as well, but they they remember it fondly because that's what they watched on television, and it's the stories that their parents told them about growing up. But the unfortunate fact of the matter is there's never been a time in American history where things were just swell and everyone got along great. It is a long history of violent subjugation and oppression, just a matter of who it was directed towards. And you could possibly ignore it for a period of time, but eventually um, that violence was going to find its way to you too. Yeah, it's, um, I don't know. And I I personally am, st- I'll say it now, and I, I believe it, we're not going to do anything about this. Nothing. Nothing is going to. Nothing is going to get through the Senate. Um, no. They're. They're not going to. They're not even going to close the gun show loopholes or whatever. And they're certainly not going to do anything sensible like outlaw uh, assault rifles. And we did. We did have a ban on assault rifles for a while. They let it expire during the Bush administration. Well, yeah. It w- Well, it was set up automatically to expire. Yeah. It had to be renewed. Now, why was it set up that way? Isn't that interesting? Yeah. Isn't it interesting that the things that actually do some good in society are set up to expire? Like, oh, I don't know, extra child tax credits during COVID. Those are set up to expire. Yeah, but corporate uh, tax breaks are never. There's, right. there's never a sunset clause Extra on unemployment, that yeah. kind of thing. All that's set up to expire and so so was the assault weapons ban, which actually did do some good from all I've all I've ever researched. Well, about. the thing with the 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 you know what they call the assault weapons ban was like, you know, banning weapons that had particular accessories and had certain characteristics. I'm not going to be one of those like pedants who's like, oh well, what is an assault weapon? You can't even define it. I'm not I'm not one of those people. But I do I think a lot of people don't have a keen sense of what constitutes the kind of weapons that um, were restricted they weren't outright banned but access to them was restricted and part of part of the restrictions were like how um many accessories the weapon could come with and uh like for example like uh shotguns right um semi-automatic shotguns were for a long period of time and, and they still are in many states uh were heavily restricted 
um, the fact that you could have a an extended clip, like have a magazine that held more than ten rounds, things like that. Where, and the reason for like the reason for this is that if you have a magazine that contains more than ten rounds, then you don't have to stop and reload, and the ability for people to return fire is when you stop and reload. So, right. are you going to be going out hunting at a a buck or a moose? that is firing back at you that you have to stop and no you're <laughs> the whole purpose of hunting is so that you can actually like put the animal down in one clean shot so really like you know i'm not a big fan of gun control myself and not because i don't think that like restricting access to certain kinds of weapons makes sense uh i think it's more so that there's already so many guns out so america passed the threshold where there are more guns in the hands of people than there are people in the u.s um, and so it was like, I believe it was like 383 million, like registered guns in 2018. That's not, that's not including the illegal guns. And now it's, it's approaching somewhere in the 500 million range. Um, the, the fact yeah, that you Jim, got Jimmy Dore said that I heard Jimmy Dore say that the numbers went way up during COVID with yeah, the lockdowns and everything. Yeah, exactly. So, um, the, the possibility of getting all these guns out of people's hands, like that, that's, that's no longer a possibility. So the only sort of possibility that we are left with is a, to stop the flow, like the unrestricted flow of certain kinds of weapons. And if not the weapons themselves, cause like, you know, it, it, it is by all means, it is practically, when I say practically, I mean like for practical purposes, it is impossible to simply go out and buy the components to make a large bomb. It is very difficult to do that, right? So access to those materials is restricted. But since, like, there are so many guns already out there, you've already got essentially, like, all of the bomb-making components that are already in the streets. So in the absence of that, uh, the next thing to do is pass sensible legislation, like restricting the number of um, rounds that can fit into a magazine. Uh, It is uh, sensible to restrict who can buy a weapon. Uh, so like as a matter of, if you have um, a history of like violent abuse and the people around you in your community don't feel safe with you owning a firearm, then yeah, I think it does make sense that you should not have access to a firearm. But the reason that I'm not for gun control is because there's always a compromise that uh, governments have to forge either with opposition parties or with gun control lobbies, and they end up passing the most nonsensical laws that cost money that make it, I guess, more difficult for people who have guns for legitimate reasons to access them uh, and does nothing to actually stop shootings. Uh, he, a really good example of this was um, in Toronto, they wanted to pass gun control legislation to restrict people's access to pistols. And it's like, I, sure, I guess that kind of makes sense. But the weapons that are primarily being used in shootings in the Toronto area are not those, like, it's not people whose pistols were stolen from their safes. And it's not people who registered to get a restricted license and fire a pistol. It's illegal weapons that are coming in from states like Maine, where there there are very low thresholds to being able to own a gun. That's where it's coming from. The uh, Newfoundland sorry, the New New Brunswick shooter, um, we had a a mass shooting in Canada a couple of years ago, um, and it was by somebody that was not only under, like, that was known to RCMP, but was actively working with them. 
uh, you know, he, the the weapons that he got were weapons that were passed. One of them was passed to him by somebody who had basically gone through the gun show loophole. Uh, and the RCMP at any time could have stepped in to um, for for the uh, the threats that he had already made and for what he was already planning, which was like under happened under the, their surveillance. You know, they could have stopped this guy early. And these aren't the issues that are stopping mass violence from uh, from either decreasing or ceasing altogether. It's that there's no political will to combat the root elements that cause these mass shootings in the first place. And that's entirely to do with capitalist production, um, with the exportation of violence to uh to other countries, the not only tolerance, but the encouragement and the funding of violence that happens within our own communities, that's never going to happen. So in the absence of that, and in the absence of the state acting on our best interests, I say, well, fuck it. If no one's going to come to our defense, then we have to learn to defend ourselves. Yeah. And it, that's, you know, that's, it's, a, it's an icky kind of a thought, but um, yeah, at, at this point, I, I, I don't see any other option myself, so yeah. it's 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 kind of depressing. The uh, the state where I live, which is Nebraska, uh, had two two close calls in the legislature this year. One was a very restrictive abortion law that barely didn't pass, and the other one was a very liberal gun law that barely didn't pass. And I'm sure those are both going to be coming back around, and that. None of these recent incidents, not the one in Buffalo, not the one in uh, California, in Southern California, and not this one in Texas, will uh, will change anything about the gun one. I mean, basically, they want to, you know, they want to go back to the wild, wild west here. You know, open carry and no, no licensing, no registration, no training, no. But nothing. you know, you know, the funny thing is that in the wild west, there was very serious gun control. You know, people like to believe that, like, uh, the, 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 in the, no, the, the, what they're usually referring to is, like, in the mid 19th century to the late 19th century. That's the, the time period when they're talking about the, uh, the Old West, right? So, uh, in the couple of decades prior to, and then the decades immediately after, um, the Civil War. But you, like, there were many towns you would go to and you could not carry your gun past the right. limits. You had to give yep. your gun up. Yeah. Yep. So, yeah, even this, like, gun, you know, gun legislation is actually much more lax now than it was even at these times that people are pining for that never existed. <laughs> well, we're, no one can be accused of being historical in this country. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. A good way of putting it. Yeah, we 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 know just enough to be dangerous. Yeah. Period. Yeah. And totally agree with you. You know, when, until until we take forty billion dollars and do something about oh I don't know homelessness, uh, Medicare for all, something, student debt relief, do something, yeah. do anything yeah. to actually help people in this country. Uh, yeah. The the root causes and you know I I don't know what they are for either one of these shooters because i i just don't have the stomach to read about them but uh yeah i mean a lot of the a lot of a lot of them i don't know yeah i mean and and i think that it's it, it a lot of them have a connection to the military they have family that are in the military 
you know, a lot of them actually do have or they their 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 parents work for the government in some capacity. Uh, so it's actually much more common than than we realize. Um, and then, you know, there might be other issues. But, you know, at the end of the day, like like you said, that, you know, if you have an entire culture that worships violence, that is rooted in violence, that glorifies violence in movies, in uh, military funding, in the news and everything. And, and that's the way, you know, people get attention. Even now, you know, I don't want to think about it, but, you know, we, who's watching all of this? Every time this happens, you know, people see all the attention that comes uh, towards these events, these incidents. And there are people, you know, who um, get thrills out of that. And and that's that's what that that's a, that's the creepy part is that, you know, like like we were saying earlier, this this person grew up in the same school where he shot up people. He learned where all the little crevices and hidey holes are. Where all that happens are. often. That happens often. There was a, a friend's friends in new mexico and uh not their town but the town the adjacent town had a had a school shooting and it was a recent graduate of that school i think the the florida incident a couple of years ago um parkland i think i think it was uh that one was also uh somebody somebody who who was familiar with the school so yeah there's yeah it's yeah, uh, lots. It's it's just it, it. I don't know. It's just it. It's totally frustrating at it's this very point. Frustrating. I think and that, you, you know, and you know that they're not going to do anything except oh, let's give some more money to the cops so they can get yeah. better training. Well, the I don't cops know. You, I, and I don't know cops, how you train yeah. cowardice out of people. No, you. Don't. And the cowardice. thing is, like, I, I, the, if people actually understand what training police officers got, they would be fucking horrified. Um. Like the the people that are paid to go in and do training for police officers are some of the most violence glorifying. Like I'll probably do. Oh, uh, well, let's just send them to Israel. I hear that works out. Really oh God, well. yeah, 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 yeah. There is that. No, I I mean that like the the police trainers are some of the most unhinged fucking lunatics you could ever listen to, and that's who they glorify and promote. I'll probably like write about this or. Um, I'll probably like do a video essay on this at, at some point soon, but I do want to emphasize that like, you know, what, what, what actually gets when police get money for training, the people that they spend money on to do the training are actually making the problem worse. And, and to your point about not being able to train cowardice out of people, the Uvalde city city uh, budget, 40% of it goes towards police. 40% for Wow. Four out of every ten dollars spent in that city, and they got this shiny new uh, SWAT team with uh, a bunch of weapons. And did any of that make any fucking difference? None whatsoever. You know, somebody said uh, on Twitter. I really like this tweet. They said um, the best way to stop a bad guy with a gun is to ensure he grows up in a loving family within a healthy society, which collectively took care of his needs and provided mm-hmm. him with the tools to succeed, so he never became a bad guy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's exactly. I saw it. And that I know tweet. it seems like well. Mm-hmm. This, yeah, this is not very glamorous or, you know, not a one stop, you know, oh, what's the what, let's just pass this one legislation. You know, Democrats want to blame Republicans. Republicans want to blame Democrats. Everybody just wants to pass the buck. What's Life really is not it? an MCU movie. 
Yeah. What's needed is these these deep changes in the culture of the United States. And that's going to happen by, you know, individual people kind of just stepping up and saying, let's do something. Let's let's join some kind of anti-war group. Let's join an, you know, uh, let's actually go and fight the uh, funding of the police in our neighborhoods, you know, and like that kind of stuff is what's needed, like on a mass scale. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, Rena, thank you very much. It's always a pleasure to talk to you. You know, I will, you know. Anytime that uh, you're in the caller queue, um, I will talk to you all night if necessary. <laughs> but but uh, no, I, I always I always enjoy chatting with Rena. Um, so I really appreciate it. Uh, thanks for your your call, and I hope I'll be able to talk to you soon. Thank you. Thanks, Kieran. Anytime. Thanks. All right, uh, Davis, what you got for us, bro? And 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 by the way, um, I'm not sorry for bullying you back into the caller queue. Uh, to unmute yourself, just uh, tap the microphone in the lower right hand corner of the screen, and we're good to go. David, are you still there? Did you fall asleep on me? No, no, I'm here. Can you hear okay. me now? Yeah, I can hear you. Okay, well, I was actually, uh, I am actually right now door dashing, so. Oh, damn, okay. To, That's why you had, had to go. Because you actually exactly. had, you had, you had, you had actual legitimate work to do, not like us podcasters. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. I'm the real <laughs> proletariat. <laughs> 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 But um, I, I listen. I, I am an immigrant to the United States of America. I'm Kenyan, okay. Mm-hmm. And um, the other, I, I took an asbestos certification class uh, about uh, sometime in August last year. I, I no longer remember asbestos. That's a horrible job. Don't do that ever. Um, but what I remember about the class is that there was this brown kid, uh, from a town not far from me, a Latino kid who was also taking the asbestos certification. And at some point, I mean, we had a a very political, like sort of right wing instructor and we ended up talking about military spending. Uh, I'm not, I don't remember why. And what struck me about him is that he said, you know, someone complained about how much money uh, the U.S. military gets. And this brown kid said, well, that's why nobody messes with us. Right. Mm-hmm. So you have a brown kid who, who thinks that this imperialist machine is for him. Uh, and, I, and I'm bringing I'm telling that story to to mention about why Americans perhaps fail to make the connection between the domestic state violence and imperialist violence abroad. Uh, I think it's 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 kind of an abstract link, if you ask me. They they I I, I just don't see the average American kind of making that link. I think they see it as this happens over here, mm-hmm. uh, but we also do other stuff over there. So I think it's seen as a separate thing because if if you are a brown person in the states and you're a man, you you are a colonized subject, and you know the, the 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 this country this empire has the ability to warp even colonized men's uh mindsets into thinking that this empire is for them this guy mm. you know thought that this this machine which kills other brown people in the middle east is somehow protecting him so that nobody messes with him you know nobody messes mm. with us he included himself as us um so yeah i i, I mean I know that you guys have self-awareness and, you know, and all that, but just m- try to correct for the fact that you all are steeped in this kind of politic as I am. You know, I've been listening to you guys for a long time. I've been kind of reading on communism, socialism on the left spectrum. And even sometimes I myself kind of don't really, it's not an easy connection to make. It doesn't stand out really. It's not a natural connection. Yeah. So I just wanted to kind of 
point out why perhaps it's a struggle for the average uh, uh, American to to link. So I have a question. Why do you you think it's uh, like, what do you think? Obviously, it seems like you're recognizing a contradiction in the person that you're speaking about, right? Who said that Mm -hmm. even though he's brown, you say that even though he is himself a colonized subject, he thinks of imperialism and the military as protecting him somehow. So like when you say it's not a natural connection, like what do you think is missing and what do you think might might be able to change that? And especially if you see it in yourself where you even find that connection hard. So I'm just curious, Mm -hmm. like what would... uh, how what's missing why is the connection not there you think um what can what can uh, what can red do for you how can how can the commies <laughs> how can the commies get through yeah I mean, you, the, you are obviously aware of the contradiction yes. you know about it but yes. you're saying that you you understand that person who doesn't make that connection so i'm just trying to uh, ask you if you could explain it to me so i can understand it too okay um because i, I think honestly it might be better to start with explaining the root causes of, of each separately. Um, you know, you, you could just talk about, you know, imperialism, make, make imperialism easy to, to grasp, right? And then the violence that is included in the logic of imperialism will be easier to understand if you, if you just... But if you say something like imperialism is the highest stages of, of capitalism, that's a very abstract thing to say, mm-hmm. right? Uh, even the word imperialism sounds kind of like smart, like imperialism. You know, it, it's just not a political term. That no, I'm, I'm right. I'm right there with you. I get it. So you're you know, it, it, you kind it, of so, be able to say it in more like accessible like language. that's not like you don't have to read like. 50 you don't sound like a fucking yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Like I would never. I would never. Um, I would never force feed somebody like uh, Georg Lukács. Uh, who was like a very fun, uh, famous Hungarian communist? I haven't even read him. <laughs> y- yeah, and and I I have, and to give it to give his writing, even though he has probably better than any other writer, including Marx and Engels, um, made very clear what class is. I I would never hand his book over to a newcomer. It would be like chewing sawdust. Well, the thing is that it is not everybody's job to go and read every Marxist book out there. That is not everybody's job. You know, people are working. People are busy. It's the job of those of us who have committed to be socialist, communist, cadre and all that to do that. You know what I mean? It's our Uh job. So we need to know how to explain and translate these things and and talk to people and listen to people. Right. Like so that's why I'm asking, um, you know, uh, I'm asking you, um, uh, Davis, like what would uh, you know, that's very helpful. So you're saying that like to use like sort sort of more um, accessible language. That's that's what I'm hearing. Talk normal. You know, (laughs) just talk normal. Well, I, I, and also someone like th- this Latin kid, I, I would, he's probably moved here from uh, a, a Latin American country whose domestic situation has been destabilized by U.S. foreign policy, right? So that's an avenue to make that connection. And, and you know, because I've been thinking about this too, and I'm like, how can I explain this to my cousin who is a born-again Christian and who thinks communism is evil, mm-hmm. right? Um and and I was flustered by her response because she was like, you're not a communist, are you? And I kind of like fell all over the place and fell apart a little bit because I myself am still kind of getting comfortable with it because as Q mentioned earlier, you know, I'm a product of, of anti-communism. Not as much as the average Westerner, but because I grew yeah. up in Africa, we just didn't really... We don't have anti-communism as a as a very strong. Listen, buddy, uh, you you your yeah. your your lawyers and judges still wear fucking white powdered wigs, so I get 
uh, you've got a long way to go. <laughs> well, well, here's, the here's the other thing. we got to consider just because somebody is brown or black or, or female or whatever, um, you know, there are still class differences, right? So, for example, mm. a lot of immigrants, you know, I could tell you, uh, you know, a certain good amount of, uh, you know, I don't want to put any numbers on it, but a lot of immigrants actually are coming from a very, you know, privileged class position from their countries, you know, they're, they're not necessarily going to be identifying with the people they left behind. They're not necessarily going to be, uh, they are, they do want to become American. They want to be, they want to integrate within the Western hegemony and they want, they want to identify if they can pass as white, they try to do that. Some, you know, some of them change their names, um, all of that. And and yeah, like a lot of the, um, so just to give a really solid example, I don't want to uh, like to override your point, but I do want to sort of concretize this, which is that like, remember when Canada um, sort of threw open the border for Syrians? And that's actually one of the reasons that Trudeau won the election because of our outpouring of sympathy for Syrians fleeing, you know, violence and chaos. Mm-hmm. But, you know, the ones who were prioritized to get into the country were Syrian Christians. And many of them are like white passing Syrians. So they come over with a lot of like the class as you say, privileges, but I think also like the, um, uh, like the prejudices that come along with belonging to their class. Uh, the same thing happened when, uh, you know, the Arab Spring took place in Egypt and the people that were prioritized for egress from the country as refugees were the Coptics. Uh, even though most Egyptians are not Coptics. And that's not to say that Coptics don't face persecution in their own country, but uh, many of the Coptics uh, and many of uh, people who came from Lebanon, uh, the uh, the Maronite Christians, they are counter-revolutionary. They are reactionary. Uh, many of them do support, uh, you know, the... Uh, the the classist and borderline fascist ideologies that we're trying to combat ourselves. Mm-hmm. So that's my point. Exactly. That, I mean, I don't know your background or your cousin or anything like that. I don't want to make any assumptions. But I'm just saying that, um, you know, when I'm talking to somebody, um, I, I, you know, it depends on who, what their material conditions is, what, what their connection is to their income. Are they working class people? Are they people, even if they're anti-communist, are they people who have to work in order to make their rent? You know, if that's mm-hmm. the case, you, you can find common ground with that. You can talk to them. But if they are people who are investors, who have, you know, who have like, who come from old money, who are politically, you know, political elites from their countries, you know, 90% of the time, you're not going to reach them. I'm sorry. Um, yeah, I, I, at least I can. Maybe somebody else can. But to me, I, I'm like, I don't even bother with people who, uh, you know, who have, who used, to, you know, like what we call gusanos, who used to be like land, uh, land, the uh, comprador class, the yeah. plantation owners in Cuba and stuff, like the ones in Miami. You're not going to talk sense to them because they're, that's not their, uh, that's not their class interest, right? So, I mean, that's, I think we got to look at that and we got to look beyond like, okay, just because somebody's brown does not I mean there's lots of people, for example, from uh, Syria, from Pakistan, where I'm from, you know, who are from that upper class, who are from that, you know, ruling class, and they're they're invested in maintaining that status. So just because they might share a name or ethnicity or religion or language with uh, people who are getting bombed or getting exploited or getting like IMF loaned, you know, till they're they can't like work their bones anymore, that does that's not the people they identify with, right? They identify with the Westerners who are li- you know living the good life. So I think that's what we got to like keep an eye out to, you know? Yeah. I, I mean, I say yeah, this I all mean, the time, but like I come from a family of Jamaican farmers and carpenters, mm-hmm. you know, I, I, you know, I'm the first guy in my family to go on to university. Um, and it's like, even them, 
when even my own family, when they know that I'm a communist, that I am an anti-imperialist, that I have these views, not only on like Canada and the U.S., but also like Jamaica, where we're from, uh, and the fact that I'm like a new convert to Islam, and uh, that you know that I, like all of these that I'm changing, I've, I've changed my name, like I've fi- like filed the paperwork to change my name because I I, I don't believe in keeping the name of the people that enslaved my ancestors. Like, even though we come from, if there was ever a working class in Jamaica, we were it. Like we were the Jamaican proletariat and even they don't understand this shit. So it's, mm-hmm. it's, if it's hard to get across to them, you're definitely not yeah. going to get across no. to people whose class interest depends on not I mean, getting it. Yeah. I mean, anti-communism is everywhere. I'm not saying that just because somebody's working class, they're going to get it right yeah. away. No, but I'm just saying that, that, that you can at least talk to them because yeah, then you can t- say, um, how much do you work? How much do you make? What does your boss make? You know, yeah. are, are you, you know what I mean? All these things we can, we can actually start talking about rent, about, you know, bills and inflation, especially nowadays. But if somebody is like, super rich and they all what they have is just like investments and you know whatever real estate and properties and they're just collecting you know whatever rent from people that's going to be a lot harder so i don't know your situation davis but um yeah i'll shut up well i mean i mean here let me just answer your question uh here's what i thought too because again i'm i'm much more exposed to this like like both of you so i wanted to ask him you know why do you think this is for you you know, that's what I wanted to ask him. Mm-hmm. And then, so, but the thing is, I, I, there is no context for me to ask him that because that is, is, is when you start challenging someone's sense of Americanness. And mm-hmm. as you said, brown people especially have this thing. I remember asking years ago, asking a brown person where they were from. And they looked at me a very hostilely and they said, I'm American. And I was like, yeah, but from where? And they said, I'm American, like that, you know? Mm-hmm. And, and so, immigrants you know because of of we are not white have this need that you've talked about to sort of americanize themselves and not be the other and so had i asked him you know why do you think this is for you of course the implied uh idea is that you know you're brown dude like why do you think this is for you do you not see who what the people that these bombs are falling on do you not see what they look like like you could be them so why do you think that this is for you which is really saying why do you think you're american which, mm-hmm. if you don't know someone and you don't have a relationship and the context to ask such a question, someone might take it hostile. You know, yeah. mm-hmm. they might yeah. be like, "Well, you don't think I'm American?" And it's like, "Well, we are not." But you know, th- again, you can't yeah. just drop yeah, that yeah. bomb on someone. I will say, yeah, no, so, I, I've yeah. I've gone through a lot of that myself. Where, as a matter of fact, one of the things that. Um, annoys me that people do is get upset they say like you know this this white person asked me where i'm from and then i told them canada and they're like no where are you really from and then they get hostile and it's like i get how that could be a microaggression because they're trying to separate themselves from you and say that you're not really canadian but then my question is is canada an identity that you really want to fit into really like Mm -hmm. this idea that we um live in this melting pot where everybody gets an equal opportunity is a fucking farce and you trying to um, identify more Canadian is not going to help that happen. I can tell you, though, Q, like, I'm telling you, I mean, uh, you know, I'm an actual immigrant, right? So, like, I mean, like, you guys, and I think, Davis, you too, like, I'm not a second generation. I wasn't born here, right? I actually lived in another country. I know the language and all that. And then I came here. And I can tell you, Same like, me, yeah, like, most immigrants, including myself, like, 10 or more years ago, are very invested in these uh, mm-hmm. because we are 
we come from places, at least I can tell you, we, at least in my case, um, I'm, I come from a working class, really a poor background, okay, poor family, um, and we don't want to go back. So, and a lot of people have, like, burned their bridges, and they have, like, sold their whatever, whatever they had, or, you know what I mean, they've given up on that, whatever they left, and then they are, they believe in this sort of bullshit American dream, Canadian dream, you know, I can make it, I just have to do this, I just have to do that, and, and then once you make that commitment, you make the move, which is not easy, right, to move your fucking country is not easy um it's like you get invested and now you have to make it work you have to you you ha- it has to work because you did all this shit for nothing otherwise right and so that becomes part of your identity i mean it's i'm sure books have been written about it i'm not gonna go into all of it but i'm saying that um you're saying and i'm saying right now i i'm i am exactly there with you right like i when i talk to immigrants now especially people from south asia you know i bring some of this stuff up i talk about colonialism i talk about the british i talk about you know imf i talk about the you know the loans and all that and 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 the ongoing stuff right um but then like it does take a while because it's shocking for people because like davis is saying like i think it's like people want don't want to believe that they made then they think well i did i make a mistake coming here right and then they don't want to get they don't want to go there they don't want to think that or oh. some you have people who don't want to be here and then like there's like within families sometimes there can be dynamics where some people are like no we have to go back to our or whatever and then and some people are like no we have to integrate right so that that dynamic is really playing out in a lot of immigrant families too and yeah and like it's it's tricky and i agree with you davis like if you don't know somebody obviously this is like two personal maybe to get into right and it is i've been in situations where a white person asked me like hey where are you really from and uh, you know it's i i felt offended because to me that's like well you don't you think i don't have a right to be here you know that kind of thing and i think that's valid because there is a lot of xenophobia and racism you, you, and you know what though i'll tell i'll tell but, you where mm-hmm. can, I, can i just explain where um i think that that actually uh like that that can be a bit of a hindrance is that the idea that I should allow somebody else to determine for me whether I belong in this country or not. It's like, why, why would I care about changing this person's mind? If they don't think that I belong here, you know, more yeah. power to them. That's their fucking no, right. Mean, it, yeah. It's not, it doesn't affect me. I, I know I have a right to be here. Why would I? And I'm not saying that anybody should not feel offended. I understand exactly why, but I think part of, and this is to address the, uh, the issue with Davis and, and, you know, not, uh, talking to this brown dude about why he thinks empire is for him. I think a part of that is that many of us deep down really depend on white. Uh, we we depend on white approval to know that we belong. So like once they say we belong somewhere, we're like, oh, I do belong. And like not that your family, your community, the people around you, if they tell you that you belong that should be good enough for you but they're not going to uh they're, they're not going to be able to convince you that you belong until you hear it validated from right. the people that hold all the power and and you know what this is part of white supremacy okay this is part of the whole fucking problem you know when i became a citizen i remember thinking uh, uh this whole process i went through which was a grueling process for me um years and years and then by the time i got to the end i was like wait why is this white person giving me permission to be here when actually this is like the land of the uh, Haudenosaunee, right? This is the land yeah. of the Anishinaabe. I should be asking them for permission. What are you doing here? Yeah. Where yeah, are I'm you like, from? Why, why the fuck are you giving me? What cave did you crawl out of? Yeah. And I'm like, wait, I should be asking those guys. Where are they? Right? Like, so my, my, my point is that that, get, but that took me years to get to that level of fucking understanding. Yeah. Right. So, I mean, I don't blame people for not getting there right away. And it's, it's hard though. It is hard when you see people and you're like, man, 
that is that is they're killing people like you you know but there are people who are brown who are in the military and they're proud of it you know there are people who are brown and who are in fucking afghanistan or who were in, in iraq and syria and they're proud of it because they're they think that they're you know they identify more with the imperialist right than like i mean i know people like that yeah they put a like they put that. a gun in my hand so i'm one of them now yeah yeah I totally it's really get it. Yeah. But uh, no, Davis, I, I appreciate that comment, bro. And and again, like, feel free to come back anytime. I really appreciate conversations like these. Yeah, love talking to you both of you. Have a great night. Hey, you too. Davis. Take it easy. All right. Uh, next up, we got Lance. How you doing, buddy? What you got for us? So, Lance, if you're there and you can hear me, if you haven't fallen asleep, uh, the unmute button is in the man. I know you know how to unmute yourself. We've talked before. Lower right hand corner of the screen. Unmute yourself, bro. Um, and if you are not able to do that, we might have to move on to, oh, there you are. What's up? I had to go back and forth. It's been glitchy tonight, you know? So yeah. Oh, yeah. It happens <laughs> sometimes. Yeah. Boy, if we could talk about immigration, I could talk about that too, but, or, or second amendment, you know, gun stuff. But, uh, my, I'm second generation Italian. My grandparents literally came over, you know, on the boat to Ellis Island from the Southern tip. Calabria from the you know southern tip of Italy, so we were among the mm-hmm. poorest of the poor of it. Excuse me, of Europe. Yeah, yeah, you were the the, the stonemasons and the the you know people who worked with their hands, not like the not, yeah. not like the you know the manja cake northerners. Yeah, yeah, fascinating. My uncle started like they, they, all the brothers, kind of four brothers, like digging ditches. It was a decent job because the city was expanding rapidly, and you could scrape together a life with the family. What he started doing, the oldest uncle, he came over first. Uh, in a you know small little station wagon, whatever little they had cars. That is uh, do Hungarian food for the Hungarian people on the line that were working Italian or Irish food. Eventually, mm-hmm. he wound up with nickel nickel spaghetti, nickel beer. Then eventually, mm-hmm. a four story, four level fancy schmancy banquet room, you know, uh, restaurant. And the rest was history. It was great. The other brothers had all eat, all wound up with middle class, you know, lives and all that. And it's fascinating the story, you know. So yeah, I mean. And my uncle did a great uh, archive, a hundred page archive of the whole thing. I get the book I'll write someday, but, um, you know, so as far as second amendment stuff and the gun, you know, ridiculousness, did you guys want to focus on that more? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, sure. Um, see, here's the thing. This is so insane. We're so insane. But so the, uh, you know, I've thought about this for a long, 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 long time. And, my initial, I was a liberal since I ever had any political view, you know, went to the, on the road 25 year anniversary of it being published. I was 25, you know, met Allen Ginsburg, my friend, all that drove Gregory Corso around uh, Boulder for uh, my drive away car, brand new Cadillac, all that. Go to San Francisco. Right. And I'm, you know, strong gun control. Absolutely. Sure. Get Allen Ginsburg was know. a friend of yours. No, 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 no. I met him for a second. I, okay. Okay. I don't want to. Yeah. You know, hey, take one thing that happened to me. No, my friend did though. He went to school at Naropa and knew him very much. He's dropping off a transcript, never got published to to, to oh, his wow. mentor. You never know what kind of people you meet on this now. platform. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. So, so anyway, but we did this on the road thing. You know, it was like you know, literally in a driveway car. Uh, and um, and twenty uh, fifth, I was twenty five, but it was twenty fifth anniversary. Uh, did a, watch a speech for a while uh, of uh, Abby Hoffman talking about uh, you know. He was going to talk about the politics of the Kerouac, which would have been horrible anyway. And he said, instead, it's the rucksack revolution because there was a lot of people traveling around. I met people that went from uh, El Salvador who were down there, yeah, really doing their thing uh, down in El Salvador for the rebels and all that, the good guys. But anyway, uh, 
for coming out to San Francisco, you know, uh, what do you call it? So, yeah, the Yippies, Yippie Convention, all that. Yeah, definitely get rid of all the guns. I would still say get rid of all the guns, but strong gun control, sure. But then Mayor Dianne Feinstein, Feinstein, Feinstein uh, was the uh, mayor of San Francisco and then has now always been a zealot of you know gun control. And the yippies, just like there would be some free speech thing, let's say, on a campus somewhere, uh, you know, like they would be, you know, rally tomorrow at the college for, uh, you know, for for free speech. Oh, you know, for and so in this case, it was whatever was on the head in the headline. It was this really strong merchants, even if they were trained, couldn't have a handgun. Nobody was going to be able to have any guns, no matter what. And it was the yippies, like I said, who were very alive and well. I met a lot of those guys out there, you know, hippie yippies. And they had signs up. If criminals have guns, only criminals, if you criminalize guns, only criminals will have guns. If you outlaw guns, only outlaws will have guns. I'm like, hmm. Oh, are you, are you trying to make me like hippies now? Because I will tell you, a lot of people hate boomers. A lot, a lot of people hate Gen X. I will tell you the most destructive cultural force in American history was the hippies. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely true. Absolutely true. But you're making them seem cool now. I'm having trouble with that. No, 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 no. Oh, the yippies were interesting. Abby Hoffman, Tom Hayden, uh, uh, Ruben, who wound up on Wall Street, but he did try to do like green stuff and good stuff, kind of. But, uh, and a lot of the, a lot of, you know, I think the yippies were fascinating. I'm talking about the, the, the Chicago seven who went to trial with, mm. uh, Hoffman, the judge, Abby Hoffman. No, that was a different story. That they, those guys weren't hippies by any stretch of the imagination. And those guys were a little older. They weren't. So by 67, the summer of love, I was well, 10 years old. What did I know? I was watching it on TV, but, you know, learning about it historically. Uh, but, you know, it, it was all over. That was all drug-infused bullshit, even by 67. Most of the people have moved out. That, mm-hmm. For instance, the Grateful Dead might have, you know, done a thing at the park once in a while. They had long since moved out of that scene. You know, they said, no, nope, it's all trash now. It's all garbage, and there's so much misogyny, so much drug use, et cetera, et cetera. But, no, the Yippies were a different story. Like I said, like, you know, they, they had a very interesting – you know, uh, a philosophical philosophy of politics, but not a real party. But so, no, I, I mean, so, I, I, you know, maybe I shouldn't have used that as a reference point. But that said, the idea of, OK, back to the Second Amendment itself briefly. So three three quick points. There's no question. There's no question that the Second Amendment is there specifically in terms of the real politics of it because the southern states weren't going to allow it because they wanted guns so they could go chase, you know, and hunt down runaway slaves. So mm-hmm. I don't care how what you think about the second, you know, that's just reality. But, but I didn't know that till later. What I did, though, when I was trying to give this some thought and research it and not just say, gee, aren't the yippies neat? And so that wouldn't know. That was the beginning point of thinking about it because I, I inter- they have interesting philosophy about stuff sometimes, but it was this in the Federalist Papers. Now they do talk about two things in there, right? I'll go to the source, right? What do the Federalists, what do the guy, what do the founders say about this? And they talked about, and the militias are mentioned in the body of the Constitution in a like more well-regulated way, if you will, uh, in terms of are we going to even have a standing army or not? That was actually debated. They said, yeah, but let's make sure the people have, you know, arm. They couldn't, you know, arm everybody. We are, we didn't have the industrial revolution here yet in a strong way. Uh, but the other thing they did talk about was the tyranny aspect of, you know, having people be armed so they could, you know, put down, uh, you know, again, remember, it's a, it's a constitutional oath basically would be what, uh, you know, enemies, foreign or domestic. 
So I am a really, really strong Second Amendment generally and, you know, right to bear arms, but of course, not any arm, anytime, anywhere, but also very, very, very strong, you know, uh, regulation as, as well. That's my, you know, what do you think about yeah, that? Yeah, no, I, I, I absolutely agree with you. And yeah, I think that um, because uh, we're way out of the the territory where we could successfully pass uh, sensible gun control legislation and it actually does anything to reduce the problem of mass shootings, school shootings, et cetera. Um, it, it, like in a bourgeois state, you are always going to have the interests of the, the ruling class try to restrict your ability to defend yourself. So yeah, I, I, I'm in total agreement there. I think that um, a lot of people who say things like, you know, well, well, you know, do you think you're going to be able to take on the police and the army all by yourself? I mean, they have us outgunned. And it's like, no, that's, that's not the, the, that's not the point. The point isn't to <clears throat> like, you know, gain armed control of the state or to defend yourself against a SWAT team. The point is so that the fascists aren't the one, all the ones with all the guns, because what's right, going right, to end right. up happening. Yeah. What's going to end up happening is that, uh, by handing over the responsibility of defending your body to the state and the state doesn't consider you a human whose life is worth defending. You're just a cog in the machine. You're a Duracell battery. You're uh, a component that keeps the capitalist machine moving or else you're surplus labor. If they don't see you as being primarily worth defending, then why would you hand over your ability to defend yourself to a state that doesn't care about you? Right, right. Two, 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 two just quick points to add on to that. Yeah. One is that when they say that, I say, yeah, well, uh, Iraq and Afghanistan were third world nations. We couldn't subdue either one of those in 20 years and trillions of dollars later. They don't tell me that, like, the, the well-armed, intelligent, you know, Americans in the vastness of America can't defend ourselves in a way that, you know, better than a third world nation could. So that that's out the window, that argument. And the thing yeah. you said, Q, is so right on point about the, only the fascists. I point to, go back to Katrina. It was Blackwater that showed up. No, no, we're the law. Nobody yep. told him to go there. Okay, yep. I've got fast forward to after Blackwater. Uh, a great book by uh, what's his name, Scahill, about they had the sixth largest. Now there's four art. There's like the four branches plus the Coast Guard. They had the next largest uh, uh, military uh, stuff, stuff. <laughs> you know, planes and and everything and tanks and, and missiles. And they were buying uh, uh, planes and arming them as like like war vehicles that could drop bombs that could put Howard to whatever the modern thing is on them and 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 and, and outfitting them as as military vehicles that's Blackwater that's Eric Prince and so these mercenary guys and now and, how they're going to you know Eric, Eric Prince and Peter Thiel like they're the kind of people that will like they will have you murdered and then laugh about it over brunch before moving on to another so they do not care when i say these people are fascists oh. i mean like actual that's- fascists yeah, and they're at the top, top levels, talking to the very top levels of both parties. So, yeah, yeah, they're very, very dangerous. And so that's the point of my point of, like, I could go off and do a rhetorical argument the way that Stokely Carmichael calmly, here's here's a, a, a William F. Buckley says, so, uh, Mr. Carmichael, you wrote a book in which you said that uh, if all of the uh, whites are in for 400 years your enemy, then you should uh, go out and kill all whites. <laughs> white people. 
and, and, and it wasn't a call to arms, but he said that, and it was a, yeah. it was a rhetorical construct, you know, with Joe Carmichael was talking about. Yeah. Plus, Joe Carmichael might have been playing both sides of the of the Cointel Pro anyway. We don't know <laughs> about that, but that's a story for another day. But the point, though, is is that you could say that on national TV and have a calm discussion about that kind of thing. And the point is that as a rhetorical argument, why shouldn't we have? quote-unquote well-regulated militias like a retired colonel who used to take care of missile silos who was a totally responsible person who you know uh why mm-hmm. shouldn't he be in, you know uh, allowed to be the uh, mentor the overseer if you wanted to the guy that you and not not answer to this is how militias are formed they answer to the sheriff but why shouldn't they have anything you know, why shouldn't we have nukes why do i want the government to control nukes so as a rhetorical argument you could even make that argument yeah I remember being yeah. a liberal and being anti-gun, and I cannot, like, I cannot understand what the fuck I was thinking because <laughs> it makes no sense anymore. Oh my god! Yeah, yeah. well, you know, go to the Democratic Socialists, and they'll, they'll think you're an idiot, asshole, violent. Say, oh, okay, so Che Guevara, and you know, <laughs> come on. Oh no, they will, they will like, totally wear a Che Guevara yeah. shirt. You know, they will, uh, they they will build altars to Karl Marx, and then proceed to argue against everything they ever believed in i i have a love hate because i know a lot of people in dsa um that are that do fundamentally mean good they mean well but i'm just like your organization is the most yeah. disorganized piece of shit yeah well i think the path to hell paid the good attention so you were half right about them you know, love hate but yeah. i won't say which half i <laughs> <laughs> not not personally of course I don't, I don't, you know, they're, 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 I, you know, like as, you know, how Ann Richards and the, the women, especially in Texas, bless their heart. Yeah. No, I hear you. Well, yeah, appreciate, uh, appreciate the comment and always, uh, always happy to hear from you as well. Um, and no, yeah, next time that we're on now, feel free to, to hop on board. All right. Just yeah. want to make sure that we, uh, yeah, sure. get to speak to, yeah, have Thanks, a good night. Guys. Good night. Yep. Uh, and I think, uh, Gary will be our last caller and, uh, we can, we can wrap mm-hmm. up for the night. Uh, I, I see. I hear that uh, you're, you're trying to you're trying to get yourself fed before you go to sleep, Karen. Yeah, um, I got hungry, so I'm eating a little. Bit. <laughs> <laughs> I'll be brief. I'll, I'll definitely be brief. Uh, doing well, doing well. I actually just wanted to uh, second the conversation that you guys just had because, um, as you've heard throughout this entire um, unfortunate period, these last couple of days, people have been speaking in partisan tones about this whole issue, but the lack of of internal logic and, and all the cognitive dissonance that I've heard from political leftists when they discuss the working class's relationship with self-defense has been almost, in a, in a the rhetoric has been very erasing in the sense that the, on, the only people they want to engage with when it comes to people who support gun ownership is the, is the, the NRA. And I don't think mm-hmm. they do that because it's in good faith opposition. But they do that because rhetorically they deliberately seek to erase black people and working class white oh, yeah. people who are literally just like them, but you know, it'd be hard to sort of engage with other proletarian brother in a can way I that's just intellectually decide. Oh, really? If I can just say so I've seen the the amount of black people that I've seen talking about um they should take away everybody's guns. If you get caught with a gun, you should go to prison for the rest of your life. Uh, why do you need a gun? Uh, I've even heard black people say, with fucking BLM in their profile, the state should have the monopoly on violence. When I see that, I'm just like, man, they, bro, this, like, uh, what's his name? Um, J. Edgar Hoover has got to be looking up from hell and smiling right now. Yeah, but I mean, Karen just literally referred to it. 
uh, like a, uh, sometimes, and I'm glad you know she's come through that and and come out the other end. A lot mm. of times, it's literally the most, uh, pres- you know, principled in their commitment to leftism, but in a way, for some reason, have kind of la- associated leftism with giving the government more power to determine how much power you have. Yeah. And yeah. there's there's a cognitive dissonance between that and you know resisting a fascist imperialist project. Mm. And, and so you know, like I said, Karen talked about you know at this point she sees the that that you know deviation. And a lot of these these young liberals, I, I'm I'm thinking they're still working their way toward that that enlightenment where they sort of put you know kind of kind of put together the fact that if you're fighting an imperialist project, you can't do so with empty hands yeah you know I mean, what you know what i think sorry go ahead karen no i was gonna just add um yeah thank you for that i i i think uh for me this the, the change in my opinion about guns um was something that occurred with my change into uh learning about studying reading about communism about marxism specifically and um and, you know, reading about Che Guevara, reading about Fidel, reading about Mao, right? Reading their, their works and reading um, what they did um, and understanding that, um, um, you know, not becoming an adventurist or anything like, I'm, you know, I don't own any guns. I don't I don't like, you know, I'm not like a gun nut or anything, but just the understanding that um, my relationship, because, yeah, I was uh, and I think, you know, and I was more left than most people, even when I was sort of liberal, whatever social democrat or whatever but i think that there's a there's a sense in people that um they are disconnected you know they don't want to hunt for food right because that's dirty but they'll go and buy meat from the store because somebody else did the dirty work right mm-hmm. um they don't they don't want to they most of these people are not going to war but they support all the wars right they're not the ones uh, and i'm talking about liberals and democrats you know the people who watch msnbc the sort of blue yellow flag wearing you know right now they have the blue yellow flags in their profiles um and sunflower hogs. emojis. Sunflower emojis, yes. They think that they're righteous and they just want to outsource their shit onto somebody else to do the dirty work. And most of the time, the, being, the people doing the dirty work are right-wingers. You know, they're the yeah. ones who are actually in the military. They're the ones who are actually, you know, hunting and slaughtering food and, and all that. So, uh, me, I mean, animals. So what I'm saying is that they, the idea, liberals do this with everything. They... Uh, I remember when Hillary Clinton was running against Trump and a lot of us who are black and brown and, and women were saying, you know, she is awful. We don't support her. You know, we were at that time, you know, I was sort of more, you know, in the Bernie Sanders camp and all that. Um, these people would block me, you know, and they would call me a Russian bot or they would all that. And they still do that now. Like, I don't even give a shit now anymore. I don't even talk to them. But like um, what I'm saying is that they what you're saying um, that uh, Gary, that they, you know, they only want to focus on the NRA as though, uh, or the, you know, like stereotypical right wing gun nut, uh, as the only other group that they, you know, that they, that, that they, oh, the world consists of only them, the people who are righteous and pure and anti gun and would never do anything dirty, um, and these like, you know, hicks out there, right? Like, that's the only binary they want to like have, and they don't want to ad- address it. They do that with everything. You know, if you're against war right now, if you're against the Ukraine, uh, the if you're against the U.S. sending forty billion dollars and more to neo Nazis in Ukraine, they're gonna call you, they're gonna block you, or they're gonna think, you know, they're gonna say that you're a uh, 
Putin bot or whatever, or they're going to call you a right winger, they're going to call you Tucker Carlson's bitch or whatever, right? Excuse my language. But you know what I'm saying? Like, they don't want to admit that there are black and brown and white people who are not, uh, you know, according to these people, fascists and who still are against their worldview, their hegemony. In fact, while they continue to actually arm actual fascists in Ukraine and everywhere else, I mean, in, in Syria, for example, the, the liberals, you know, Obama and all these people fucking armed fascists, like literal al-Nusra and H, uh, uh, Hezbollah Tahrir and all these groups that, were, that are fascists, you know, and, and now they're doing that with the, with the Azov and all those people in Ukraine. So my point is that <clears throat> they don't want to admit these things because that will just, you know, uh, it complicates the worldview. Yeah, it, it blows apart their entire self-image and worldview. Yeah, it will, ex- it will expose them as the bourgeois mm-hmm. liberals that they are, out of touch. Um, and and just uh, one more thing: um, it, when you, as you discussed about, when you actually read about true scu- true struggle, true leftist struggle, struggle like the water wars in Bolivia, or the, you know Tupac Amaru, mm. one thing that that animates me about that. And this is different with Che Guevara because Che Guevara actually had what I, I wished that, you know, the water warriors in Bolivia had. And when I read about that, I wish – and this is literally what I'm thinking when I read about it. I wish they had guns. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm like, I wish they had guns because literally like IMF can roll through thousands of people with a, with a, with a, 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 a handful of mercenaries because they're armed. And when you yeah. look at these leftist struggles and you see – how easy it is for the IMF to roll through thousands and millions of people with a few mercenaries just because they're armed. How could anyone not understand the importance of, of being armed? But oh, yeah, like, uh, the, yeah, the, I mean, there was, yeah, I, the Cochabamba water wars took place like when I was very early in university. And at that time, Bolivia was still under a military dictatorship. And I yeah. think one of the wrong lessons that people took away from uh, the uh, the Cochabamba water warriors, and also I think, have taken away from um, proletarian struggle, is that it all has to look like satyagraha. It all has to look like nonviolent resistance. Otherwise, it's not actual. It's not resistance. It is just fascism, and that's the, kind of the point that I wanted to get at before. Is that a lot of times they have this very um, warped idea of what fascism is and what constitutes it. They cut. They try to come up with these logical things like, oh, fascism is the merging of capitalism like it's the merging of the state with uh corporations no it's not that what you're actually like what you're trying to explain is something that requires understanding aestheticism like aestheticizing and romanticizing uh your ideology and the reason that you can't come to grips with it is because that's exactly what you do and that's one of the reasons that they can engage with principled communists socialists and otherwise part of the reason is that if they start talking to you about why it is that you support the thing that they don't, that they seem to have opposition to what are ostensibly both your enemies, then they're going to have to deal with the contradiction that ultimately what they support is the same thing that their ostensible enemies support, but just in a way that lets them absolve themselves of guilt. Yeah. And also, if you look at this uh, from an individual level, I think what we're talking about, but then you also look at it from a country level and you have somebody like uh, Muammar Gaddafi, uh, you know, who was giving up uh, Libya's weapons and, you know, somehow ended up getting, you know, mauled on the street and and his entire government collapsed. Um, Meanwhile, you have, you know, other countries that uh, like the PRK, for example, um, that and, and Russia, for that matter, and China. 
you know, uh, that do have big fucking weapons and, you know, the big bully, the United States of America, dare not fuck with them, right? Or if it does, it's like there's like a lot of saber rattling going on. But they went in and they fucking... They fucking shot Murdered Gaddafi in the street like a dog. As a matter of fact, I say that a lot, but they, nobody would ever let a dog you know be treated what? like that. Yeah, yeah. Don't even, you, if, if that happened to a dog, I think more Americans would be fucking sad about it, yeah. pissed about it. They, no, they didn't give a shit. They celebrated it. You know, this 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 guy who was bringing together African countries and wanted to bring, Afri- uh, you know, economic uh, autonomy to Africa. Um, whatever his flaws, he was doing some good work. And they, the way, yeah. So what I'm saying is that... Um, you know, there is something to be said about deterrence, both on an individual level as well as on a country level. Mm-hmm. No, I mean, that's facts. That, that's big facts. Uh, so I'll, I'll leave you on this one question. Um, I'm just doing an informal survey. Do you believe that the Second Amendment enshrines American citizens' right to own to own weapons, <laughs> firearms? <laughs> no. No, okay. I don't think that – I think the Constitution is toilet paper. And I think that the Constitution uh, – first of all, the fact that you – like the idea that – you have a document that is almost impossible to update be the foundation of your democracy to me is completely laughable because now you're no longer dealing with updating the conditions as they arise you're dealing with working from a document that was created by slave owners and murderers and genociders if you can't move on from that document you've basically turned it into biblical writ ostensibly you believe that your society should separate church and the state, but you have just made a you've created a religious document, and now you're falling down in worship to it. So the idea that like the Second Amendment protects anything at all, bullshit. And I'll tell you why. Just yesterday, the Supreme Court ruled that people who are um, convicted at the state level due to not their guilt, but the incompetence of the attorney that the state provided. So if you get a public defender, your public defender doesn't enter evidence into admission that could have exonerated or acquitted you, uh, and then you get convicted, you will be ferried to death row, as of now anyway, because the Supreme Court has ruled you do not have the ability to, in your appeal, enter evidence that was not entered in state court by the incompetent ass attorney that the state provided to you. So the idea that there is any such thing as a fair trial that exists any longer in America got completely blown out of the water yesterday. So if there's anything that the the Constitution protects, it's the right of the bourgeois to fucking terrorize you and little else. Wow. Well, that, that, that's eye-opening. I didn't even know about that. I didn't even know about that. I'm not no, surprised. I'm not surprised. I'm not surprised. Yeah, it, it's actually, like, when I read it, I, my, I, I'm not often surprised by things that happen in America, but when I read that ruling, my jaw fucking dropped. And you know exactly who are the people that are most likely to be executed and also the most, like, the most likely candidates for exoneration, according to the, the Justice Project. Well, it's, it's black people, right? Which is another another reason why, why I hate when liberals use utter the phrase "we need to pass more laws." I'm like, if I hear another liberal say we need to pass more laws, I swear yeah. on my life, because yeah. all they want to do is put us in jail, and then they will write the new Jim Crow Part Two. That'll be a bestseller. They'll have conversations and think pieces about it, and it'll be and then that's and it. You still be beg, and then you still be begging for more laws. Yeah, exactly. So it is what it is. But thank you very much. You guys are uh, pretty very impressive, and, and um, you've definitely gotten a new fan in me. Anytime, bro. I appreciate you. Thanks, Thanks Gary. Take care. God bless. Take care.
Good All night. right. Um, do you want to take Vin's call? Because I know that you do have to go. Yeah, uh, uh, maybe we'll just I'll just stick around for five more minutes, but I might okay. go if if it goes longer than that. Yeah. Sure thing. Yeah. All right, Vin. Uh, we gotta we gotta wrap it up so that uh, Kieran can actually go to go eat and go to sleep. What you got for <laughs> us? Yeah, yo, I appreciate it. Uh, it won't be long, but um, you know, I I don't like to use the personal experience thing because I think it's kind of BS. But uh, to make a point. But I'm anonymous, so I don't really care. But honestly, um, I've always been an advocate for arming, having guns, all that kind of stuff. I never understood from when I speak to leftists. I'm not talking communists. I'm talking your kind of lefty, liberal, damn socialist type dudes or girls or whatever. I'm from Somalia, so I'm in my 40s. I saw kind of like firsthand what the idea of not having the ability to arm yourself mm-hmm. when the government turns against you. I was in Mogadishu and the place went crazy. And we I just couldn't imagine not having a weapon to defend yourself in that situation. And yeah, yeah people always say, yeah, yo, listen, you know, Oh my God, you can't stop the government, all this crap and all this. So I tell that story to, you know, DSA types and they call me, you know, conservative, right wing, you know, whitewash, all this bunch of bullshit. I hope these aren't white people calling you that because I swear to God. Uh, I mean, you got a couple of them, but you know, I don't pay them too much mind. But what I'm, what I'm, the point I'm trying to illustrate is I think a lot of the rhetoric that comes from those type of people is they're not serious in their ideology or whatever they actually believe in. Yeah. Because if you are, push comes to shove, you do whatever you can. But these people, it's all boutique activism politics to them. It's not serious. It's just people that are trying to advance their, you know, trying to get a talk. They want to be seen. Yeah, they want to be seen to do something. But really, like, what, what are they actually committed to? And this is why I say a lot that like i'm committed but i'm not attached like i'm very much committed to socialist revolution i'm not attached to it i'm not going to suddenly like change if if i you know if if something happens and the possibility of it is not going to happen within my lifetime i'm not going to convert my politics to be on the winning team like as i've as i've gotten older more mature and learned more things I've actually migrated towards a political position that has like a, a, a less and less and less chance of ever happening in my lifetime. But I'm very committed to, to liberation. And I think for a lot of these, as you call them, boutique activists, they are attached to an outcome, but they're not very committed to it, which is why they can sort of take um, ideas piecemeal and then discard the rest. So they could take ideas like we should be fairer to countries in the global south, we should have universal health care, we should have student loan relief. But then they'll also say, say things like you should have universal basic income. Are you out of your fucking mind? I mean, <laughs> sure. Uh, yeah, I guess as like a, you know, a, a temporary band-aid. But UBI was actually a libertarian um, idea. The idea was that you could give people money and then do away with healthcare and just about every social service so that people have the ability to buy the services that they want. 
So it's like they'll they'll latch on to ideas like that because it sounds good, and they think the idea in principle is that if you do things for people, if you have a social safety net, you are thereby doing socialism. No, you're not. And the reason you think this way is because you are not committed to a socialist project. You're attached to having these outcomes, and you think the way to, I, I guess, like differentiate yourself from liberals is to call these things that are not, are not actually socialism, socialism. That is exactly right, man. Honestly, I couldn't say it better. And I respect you for that position. You know, you're very upfront and honest about it. A lot of these people are not, man. And you're you're saying you're committed, and you know, I, the one thing I could, because I, I listen to I, I've listened to a lot of your 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 stuff, but um, your your knowledge is on point, brother. And just keep doing what you're doing, man. Honestly, yeah, man, I appreciate that. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. I mean, I think that uh, am the people who like like the previous caller was saying that people you know liberals tend to think in binaries and they tend to only want to associate anybody who is into self defense um especially when it comes to gun ownership but in general the idea of self defense is always sort of seen as a right wing issue you know like somehow that makes you right wing and it's just like um, I remember taking like actual self-defense classes some years ago, you know, like like martial arts, like self-defense stuff. And yeah. and it was like such an empowering experience. And I was like, why the fuck didn't I do this sooner? Oh, my <laughs> gosh. I've, yeah, I've been doing martial arts. And this is probably why I've never really been on the uh, gun rights side or on the state should own the monopoly. Even when I was a even when I was a lib, I never really had those i like i never really resonated with those ideas now granted i wasn't always talking about the things that i really believed in um but i also wasn't going to be one to speak up and say oh yeah we should have gun control i never believed in that and i i think the idea that you should wait for people and organizations and systems that have never cared about your life to suddenly grow a heart and begin caring about your life to the extent that they will act against their own interest to protect yours his it's just always it's, always seemed bullshit to me yeah i've never believed that people should not uh defend themselves with guns and i've always believed that you have a responsibility to learn personal self-defense is it going to get you out of every single situation no will you have a much higher chance of like surviving or at least getting through an encounter without personal harm or at least minimizing the personal harm yes absolutely like okay i'm gonna say something I've only said this to people in private. I've never actually said this publicly, and it probably will get me in a lot of trouble, but I just don't fucking care anymore. Do you know how, like, you know how, uh, Kieran, people will say things like, um, when when people talk about, like, self-defense against sexual assault, et cetera, situational awareness and that kind of thing, um, people will say things like, well, we it shouldn't be up to us to stop ourselves from being raped. Um, you should teach your sons not to rape. I understand exactly where that comes from, because what people are saying is that it's not the responsibility of marginalized and vulnerable people uh, to, um, it's not their responsibility to stop rape from ever happening. But I think people understand the inverse of that quite clearly when they leave their home and they lock their door or they get out of their car and they lock their door. When they have alarm systems, they understand that People are know that things are illegal and will do them anyway. So no one's going to say, well, we shouldn't lock our doors. You should teach your kids not to steal because we don't live in a society that 
these things are punished. Uh, and we don't live in a society where people are often even believed in the first place. So then the question is, do you then wait for a society that has not valued your right to bodily autonomy to grow a conscience and suddenly do that? Or do you take some responsibility and at least put yourself in a situation where uh, this is less likely, either less likely to happen or you have the ability to defend yourself? And this is not, yeah, this is not a victim blaming thing. This is more like in a society, in a society where we know that, that, that cops and governments do not value black lives. They don't value people who are disabled. They don't value people who are otherwise marginalized. I remember like Chelsea Manning said a few weeks ago that trans people should start arming themselves. And a lot of people got upset about that. And I was like, fucking why? Why would like, why would you not? I understand that the suicide rate among trans people is higher than the majority of the population. I completely understand that having access to a gun in your home makes it easier for that to happen. At the very same time, trans people are right now like under a genocidal attack. They're like I, I've read stories about people in Texas. There's been at least two stories out of Texas that I've read so far that uh, a random trans person was assaulted by complete strangers because of this idea that somehow spread that the shooter in Uvalde, Texas, was trans. And I'm just like, no, no, I, I I, understand. I completely understand. But there's never going to be a time where the rest of society feels bad enough for you that the assault on your body, on your personhood, and on your identity is going to stop. So in the absence of that, what do you do? Just sit around and wait? Yeah. Listen, I had a huge, huge, huge fucking blow up about this topic, like I think four years ago, just before my old uh, Twitter account was suspended. Um, And I think it was like after I had it was maybe. No, I don't remember what the context was, but I remember um, I had started posting like just some videos um, about like how to, you know, uh, like disarm somebody who's coming at you and stuff like there's videos on out there, right? Like that kind of, obviously it's not the same thing as doing practice in person, which I agree, uh, which I encourage everybody to go and actually learn in person. Um, but there was some videos and I thought that, you know, that would be interesting to encourage people to go and learn that stuff, especially, especially women, but just anybody, um, you know, if somebody grabs you from behind or if somebody pins you down, like, well, how do you get out of those uh, kinds of holes? And I remember sharing that stuff and I don't remember, I, I think I can think of who it might've been, but a couple of like women came after me basically saying, Oh, are you saying that? Like, you know, basically what you said, which is that um, basically saying to women that we should learn self-defense is somehow making an excuse for rapists, you know, yeah. and yeah. they fucking went after me. And I was like, they were, you know, quote tweeting me and had a little dog pile going. And I was like, you know, like, I don't I don't have kids, but if I did and if it was a girl or if it was a guy, kid or boy, whatever gender, non-binary, um, they would learn to fucking to defend themselves from a very young oh, yeah. age. Oh, they yeah. would learn. And uh, I'm like, I don't give a shit what you think of that. I would make sure that every child of mine would know how to defend themselves. And um, and this was apparently very uh, problematic or controversial for some of these women who are mothers. And I'm like, damn, I feel bad for your kids. Why aren't you teaching your kids how to do that? And, you know, um, 
you know, I don't know. So like, I mean, I didn't, I didn't learn it as a kid, but my parents did encourage me. They were like, every time I came home crying that somebody like picked on me, they were like, don't come home. Tell us who picked on you. Tell us how you fought back. (laughs) And, and, you know, I mean, maybe it was a little bit, um, you know, not cool to like, not teach me how to do that, but I did learn eventually. And I always was always like, you know, slapping people who were picking on me, but I'm just saying that like, yeah, no, I agree with you. And I'm not, I, I don't, I'm not one of those people who thinks that, uh, you know, uh, women, I, I, I don't think that, you know, I don't, it, it doesn't excuse people who do the bad things for you to be prepared for that. You know, that's completely ridiculous. Like not wearing a seatbelt or, or like not just like not giving a shit where other people are driving. Like, of course, people are, should follow the rules, but exactly, they don't. Exactly. <laughs> you know, you don't just put your seatbelt on because you think you're going to get into an accident. You put your seatbelt on because you have no idea what the other drivers on the road are doing. Yeah. Like, and it's and and I I am a parent of two young girls. My girls are four years old, and I have a heavy bag that hangs in my garage. And you better believe they are going to grow up knowing how to use it. I've made a deal with my wife that when they turn four, that uh, this summer I start teaching them how to work the heavy bag. I'm going to go out and buy themselves some little hand wraps. I'm going to buy them little gloves. I'm going to buy them shin guards, and I'm teaching my kids martial arts. Um, they will. They will be like when they're old enough. They'll be going to a school uh, for Muay Thai and Brazilian Jiu Jitsu. So mm-hmm. it's like, I you know, is it? Uh, do I think that that makes them um, completely immune uh, to being physically or sexually assaulted? No, absolutely not. But it does give them a chance. And you know, the the entire point, And just like to bring this back to the you know the conversation about armed self defense. The point is not to um, the point is not to get out completely unscathed and the point is not to overpower your opponent. I don't know that either of them are, I mean, one of them is going to, she's going to be over six feet tall just based on her growth chart so far. Um, I don't know if she will be able to overpower most men, but I do know that in self-defense situations and I've been in many myself, I used to bounce at nightclubs. It's it's not that you have to overpower the opponent. It's that you have to give yourself like you have to incapacitate them long enough to just get out of the situation in the first place, and they will know how to do that. The other women that I've trained with in Muay Thai, Brazilian Jiu Jitsu, Taekwondo, etc., completely have that capability, and they have been in situations where they've had to get out that way. And so this again, this is not a victim blaming thing. It's just more like knowing that we don't live in a we don't live in a culture that values our lives, our safety, or our bodily autonomy. The only thing that you can't, like you, you can wait around for them to develop that conscience, or you can give yourself the best opportunity possible to get out alive. And I think where it comes to armed self-defense, the, the same rules apply. Yeah. I mean, um, you know, when, when I took self-defense classes, um, you know, the first things they taught us was how to a avoid being in a situation where you have to defend yourself and b how to how to run away from it and how to um, achieve some kind of uh, distance between you and the perpetrator and how to ask how to call for help, how to look for help, how to look for exits, you know, all ways to avoid having to do anything and then how to avoid and then how to engage and how to protect yourself and how to get away. Cause they, the issue is, you know, I think a lot of people, liberals especially seem to have just this idea of like a Marvel fucking superhero where it's always like about overpowering the other person. No, it's about either getting away or deterrence, deterrence, um, or, you know, just making sure that the, uh, that you're surviving, you know, because it's yeah. not about like, it's not about being a hero, right? It's about survival. So this is the, you know, this is, 
is something that I learned through the process of learning self-defense and all that. But, you know, it's not something that is necessarily taught to people. Um, for and, and we're taught this, like, movie version of, like, good, good guys and bad guys. And, you know, and, and, and somehow it's always, like, outside. No, it's actually, there's a lot you can do. Even a woman can do, uh, even a small woman, because it's not about overpowering. It's not about the weight. It's about technique. It's about knowing where to do what to. And, um, you know, if you can learn, if you learn those things and then be able to apply and it's about mo- in the moment knowing what to do. That's the other thing is that when you train enough, you, uh, your mind gets a lot more, um, able to handle because when you're, when you're in a bad situation, your fucking brain will not work. It will stop working. That's what happens I to know. everybody. The adrenaline I, I, goes up. No, I'll say that yeah. like, and this is not a boast. This is just kind of the reality of it. Like I have let myself be hit. Uh, I've let myself like I've I've like tanked hits like I've eaten punches f- from people of all genders, and part of the reason for that is that like I know how to end a fight very quickly, um, but it'll probably cause like permanent damage to that person, right? So um, I would say most people are kind of not like they're not in my weight category. They're not as, as large as I am. I I'm you know I'm not even the biggest guy you'll find, but I think I like just out of uh, natural strength and trained strength and just, you know, sort of my, my size, uh, it would be very easy for me to injure somebody even if I don't mean to. So I, I generally, even though I know how to defend myself and I have taken martial arts since I was a teenager and I'm now in my early 40s, I, you know, I, I generally don't use it, but I will teach it to people because I think it is very important that when you come across somebody that intends to do you harm and doesn't really care about the societal rules or what they were taught, like you have to give yourself the best, like to the best of your ability to be able to get out of that situation, mostly intact. And I think what happens with a lot of liberal thinking is that we're going to sit around and wait until equitability finds us and not do the hard work. And that means, you know, whether it's withholding your vote, whether it means um, organizing for direct action or anything else in that matter, they think that going through the natural, normal means, the as they call them, like civilized or, um, like the 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 means that that go like the means that allow you to stick by the rules of decorum, that that is going to yield the outcome you want. And then my question for everybody is, well, how's that worked out for us so far? Mm-hmm. Good question. Anyway. I'm gonna also leave uh, everybody with uh, you know if you. Uh, one of the things I found very useful uh, is this channel on uh, YouTube called Black Power Media, uh, Black Power Media, um, and they have these things called Warrior Classes. Like every, I think they have it every week now or something. Uh, and and oh, yeah, they, that's, they, uh, that's, they that's share some Chonga. pretty good information. Come on, Chonga, that's my boy. Yeah, 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 and I, I I caught it the other day, and I was like, whoa! And I went back and watched a few of them, and yeah, they were pretty good. I mean, and and again, it does not uh, replace like in person training, which I recommend. But um, yeah, like I think that we obviously cannot rely on these institutions. I it it really should be clear. Um, it, it takes a while to admit that because it's scary, right? It's scary to think I can't rely on that. But we have to come together. There are still other people. The, one of the things that we're taught is that we cannot rely on each other. And I think we can. And I think if we really make that effort and get to know like people in our communities, right? Our neighbors, um, people in the communities, people who are maybe, and also if you're lucky enough to live in a place where there's socialist organizing and stuff, go and join them because you will feel less alone. You will understand what it's like to rely on, you know, 
your 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 comrades and your your you know people who are in your community and not like these fucking institutions that are not there for you. They're not there for any of us. Yeah, yeah, I got yeah. you. Yeah, I got you. All right, well, it's been a great chat. I'm always happy to to catch up with you, especially on Colin, and and uh, I want to give a huge. Uh, bout of appreciation to our guests, uh, the people that called in and everybody who listened. And uh, if you like our show, please support us. Um, feel free to uh, share the show. And if you want to support uh, the culture, um, you can go to uh, patreon.com forward slash theculture.tv. That's the culture with a K, D-O-T, T-V. Um, and uh, support us to whatever ability you can. And if you can't, please share our stuff because we want to be around for a long time. Yeah, thanks everyone, and thank you for uh, to the callers especially, but every also everybody who was chatting uh, and sharing links. Uh, I think uh, there were some really interesting links. I'm going to look look them up afterwards. Uh, oh, yeah, the, thank um, you to the show is Swift the show is saved afterwards. Yeah, sorry, go ahead, go ahead. Swift for life, I think you shared a lot of information. That was really great. So yeah. thanks to everybody. Yeah. Appreciate it. Yep, the show is saved. the The show is saved. So uh, okay. even after even after we close the room, you can always go back and uh, look through the chat um, and find those links that T uh, Fifty for Life dropped. Nice. Awesome. Thank right, you. Joe. Thanks, everyone. Thanks, Q. Thanks, comrade. Have yourself a good night. Good night. You Bye. too. Bye-bye.